This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Hello, Blenders, and welcome Welcome to episode number 118 of Real Blend, a podcast that's going to show new mutants in our backyard on Friday if you all want to swing on by. Um, bring your own snacks. That's your best one in a while. Chairs. And we'll just set up and watch new mutants together. We've been sitting on it for all this time. Yep. We're finally Wait, quick it. update. We have to reschedule the next week. <laughs> uh, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and welcome back to another fine episode of Real Blend. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on this week, including uh, a Capone review, one of those full reviews that we can all talk openly about because the movie is now available on paid VOD. And hopefully you guys have checked out our interview with Josh Trank, which was a breakout bonus episode. Uh, we do have another guest for this week's episode. It's uh, Tony Cervoni, who is the director of the animated feature film Scoob. And um, this is, I'm telling you guys, one of these interviews yeah. where um, we took it. You know, we were excited to do it. I grew up on Scooby-Doo and he's had amazing credits. And then when we sat down to talk with him, it ended up being one of the coolest interviews because he just had so many amazing stories and Kevin and I were just blown away by the things that he had to tell us. So I think you're going to have a really good time listening well, to that. I was telling uh, uh, you this. and I know you have to introduce us, but I was telling you this sure. earlier. Uh, I was watching The Last Dance this week on Sunday night. And in The Last Dance, they were showing Space Jam footage. And then today we're interviewing the lead animator for Space Jam, who's also yeah. the director of Scoob. And it was this weird, like, coincidental moment where I was watching The Last Dance going Oh, I wonder how they did that back then. And I was telling Sean this. I'm like, and then I'm looking at my computer and I see the man who actually did it. And I'm like, why don't I just ask him? <laughs> That's literally <laughs> what That's happened. Crazy thing about our job. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally what happened in my mind. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to know this. Hey, can I ask you? You did this, right? How'd you do it? And he told, and he told an amazing story. <laughs> well, that's Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. The other voice and face you hear uh, and see on YouTube is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. The most metal member of the Real Blind podcast, obviously. You can tell by sure. his, his Metallica yeah. shirt. Because I've seen Metallica things, yeah. 37 times. Because if anything says metal, it's the guy that bought the Metallica t-shirt at Target for eight bucks. <laughs> not the guy that has actually gone to see them live in concert. Weirdly yes. enough, I actually have my Metallica tickets right here. In yeah, but do you have a Metallica Target t-shirt? <laughs> I am That's not a true, real fan. I'm not a true fan. I'm not yeah. a true fan. You're right. And Shame I love that me. for people who aren't watching on YouTube, it's not even like a, like a Metallica for an album or a, a <laughs> it's tour. It's just the logo. It just says Metallica. <laughs> it is it, 
It's basically it says I am aware that they're a band. <laughs> I'm aware that they exist. Yes. Yeah. And it makes me look cooler than I would if I weren't wearing and, the shirt. I might have heard one of their songs on the radio. Yeah. Like I grew the beard and I was like, well, I can't wear my Hootie and the Blowfish t-shirt anymore. I got to wear a t-shirt that fits the beard. That's the it. first concert I remember going to. I, I will never forget this. It was 90s. How is that your first, like your, your first concert is not supposed to be cool. So my dad was was cool about that stuff like he took me to see corn third eye blind smash mouth i went to all we went to saw hooting the blowfish with my mom at one point i love hooting the blowfish but my dad had this crazy idea i was in seventh grade and he was like metallica's coming to the hampton coliseum which is like this beautiful beautiful venue in in hampton virginia where i'm from and they were coming with this band called Corrosion of Conformity. And I'm, I'll never forget walking in there. My mom went to this show. And this is back, but like you could smoke indoors, like, you know, at concerts. So it was just marijuana everywhere. Like, you could, I mean, it was unreal. And <laughs> How my, old were you? I was 12. And my mom has horrendous asthma. So for the majority of the show, she was outside getting a breath of fresh air while my dad and brother and I were watching Metallica. And she was totally cool with it because we were having so much fun. That's how amazing my mom is. She was like, you know what? That's a good mom. I want you guys to have fun. Don't worry about me. I just want to go outside and catch a breath there. I'll never forget. I went down to get a shirt and I walked through the pit and I kid you not. I saw somebody doing heroin. I I, I, I will never... I will wow. never forget it. Uh, now, again, it was dark. There were lights everywhere, but there was a guy on like the ground doing something that looked like that. And I was like, and I was so terrified because I was 12 years old. I mean, I don't know what it was for sure. I'm just, you know, speculating. Or in my mind, I thought it was that because I was a kid and Metallica was blaring next to me. But at yeah, the yeah. same time, that was so that Metallica, my dad and I have seen now four times together. Wow. Jake, Sean, do you know your, your first concert? I was going to ask you the same thing. Um, mine was seventh grade. I saw REM uh, on their green tour. And wow. uh, people might not really remember that when green came out, it was right after eponymous where they did a best, uh, a greatest hits. And that had um, it's the end of the world as we know it. And this one goes out to the one, I, the one I love. Those are their two biggest hits at that point. So Green was kind of taking off for them, and but they played Nassau Coliseum uh, on Long Island, where I'm from, and it was half empty. Um, and we had second um, ro- second level seats, but it was so empty in the upper level that we were able to just go down to the rail and watch from like from the side, essentially. But the ground level was not even full. Uh, like it was too big of a venue for them at that point. Right. Yeah. But they yeah. were put into it. And I just, me- I will always remember the view from up there and kind of looking around and being like, these guys should be like way more popular. Like I, I didn't, I, this is the first show I'd been to and, and especially in an arena like that. And I just remember looking around thinking like, I, I wonder, I feel bad. Like, do they feel bad that there are this many seats available, but they were really just playing clubs and stuff at that point. So there was a, they were blowing up, but they weren't quite blown up yet. Right. I do want to take one right. moment just to mention real fast. Um, if if anybody out there is a fan of live shows, which I know a lot of people are, um, I know this oh. article is old now, but Dave Grohl wrote an article earlier this week in The Atlantic that is so profoundly interesting about why live concerts are so special. And it made me rethink a lot about these shows because when you go see Metallica, and Metallica was on the load tour at this point. It was 97. They had two octagon stages that they were just jumping back and forth with the people on fire. It was pyrotechnics. It was unreal. But at the same time, what Dave Grohl says in this piece 
is that when you see somebody in the flesh, it grounds them to a human level because you're you 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 get obsessed with a band and you look at an artist and you think of them like on a different level. But when then when you see them right in front of your face, there is yeah. that psychology that happens where it makes it more intimate. But then you're sharing it with people who you don't know, but you all have the same interests. Right. And like you're so you're similar interests with strangers. So if you haven't read the article, it's phenomenal. And he just really goes into that. But I highly recommend it. Jake, what was your first concert? Uh, it was the ultimate 90s. I was uh, fourth grade. I was 10 years old. The ultimate 90s concert. It was Train opening for Matchbox 20. Oh, wow. <laughs> Rob Thomas. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, Matchbox 20, they, they had uh, Yourself or Someone Like You, which was a pretty big album. I think it was like multi-platinum for them. And Train was like, it was the perfect band to have open because they had Meet Virginia and Drops of Jupiter. And after that, they kind of ran out of songs. So like right after, like they they sang like they their two hits, twice. and then I was like, yeah, and I was like, and here's Matchbox Twenty. Did that, um, did that, for the record, did, I still like left the Matchbox building? Twenty. Yeah, yeah, but that's the ultimate like '90s concert. And it was great. I loved it. That's really funny. By well, the I way, want everybody now on our community page over on Facebook uh, to tell us what your very first concert was and uh, go into graphic detail about your memories from your very first concert. Uh, and also read that Dave Grohl article. Kevin's exactly right. It's so great. And Kevin, you were really funny when you said like you just took all the substitutions for like music or concerts and put yeah. in movie theaters. And I read it through that perspective and I was like, oh, Kevin's Kevin's exactly right. Like that's what we yeah. miss the most about doing something communal like this. If you read that article through the lens of a movie theater, it's yeah. like like Sean saying is amazing. I do wonder this is a stupid question. Do you think Rob Thomas has ever been able to sing the words 2 a.m. at 2 a.m. while while playing a Matchbox 20 concert. Sure he has. Do you think yes. he's had that moment so. yet? I 100%. hope so. Yes. I, I, I hope, I I hope he, he has. Don't give us the rap, Gabe. We're talking about something real here. Yeah. Matchbox Don't 20. You, doesn't that keep you up at night, knowing if Rob Thomas has been able to say 2 a.m. at 2 a.m.? I want to also mention the fact that we're posting these episodes on YouTube so you can watch our reactions to these questions that Kevin throws at us. It's a legit question. So if you question, want to see the show, uh, YouTube backslash Cinema Blend and subscribe. Uh, Gabe wants me to note that we're putting up content every single week on that YouTube channel as well, too, including reaction videos, commentary videos, and a lot of other fun stuff. Oh, our social network uh, commentary video went up on there, too, so you guys got to watch us doing watch. Well. Uh, social network it is and we're already throwing around titles that we hope to do uh, for our next one and um, we've had we have some pretty fun and exciting ideas um, Jake raised I his celebrate hand. what no I was just have you guys seen that meme of like the couple in bed and like the, the girls like over because this is what Kevin reminded me of the girls like cr crunched over and like looking at her boyfriend like and and her caption is like I bet he's thinking about other women and then the guy's caption is always some really stupid question that he's wondering and I just pictured like Lauren like looking over at him and Kevin going I wonder if Rob Thomas is ever saying two a.m. at two a.m. <laughs> I mean isn't that a question you want to know the answer to I want to know the answer to it that. is now but it, but it never kept me up before now not necessarily all right sorry we can sorry Gabe we can move on we can move on. <laughs> um, I want to celebrate the t-shirt campaign, which has come to a close and we cannot thank you guys enough oh. for uh, your response to this idea that we came up with. So we designed a t-shirt. Uh, it's exclusive for this fundraising campaign that we decided we were going to do. Uh, it's a great silhouette of the four real blend guys. Uh, we are in a movie theater looking up at the screen. The screen has our logo on it. It's a cool 3D version of the logo. Uh, we printed these up specifically to raise money for the Will Rogers Pioneers Assistance Fund. It's a charity that is uh, benefiting 
movie theater workers who are out of work right now. Uh, all of the proceeds went to the Will Rogers Pioneers um, uh, Foundation, aside from the little bit that goes to the producing of the shirt. We didn't receive anything for it. Um, you guys raised over $1,500. We sold 135 shirts, which means that there's 135 amazing people out there who not only helped a great uh, cause, but are going to be wearing our logo out there <laughs> as marketing for our little show. And that cracks me up uh, to no end. So when you guys start getting them, well, I want to see pictures of everybody wearing it. Send it into us. We'll share it on our on our social channels. But uh, on behalf of all of the guys, and, and you guys can definitely uh, chime in as well, too. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who uh, stepped up and donated for this amazing charity and also uh, are getting a really cool shirt in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we had, you know, we had a goal of 50 and, and I, you know, I think even when, when we started that off, I was sort of thinking like, Ooh, 50 seems that's, I feel like that's asking. A lot. I mean, like, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of people who, who listen to the show and for that, we're very grateful, but like, you know, you, it's asking a lot of people, especially in a time like this to like, Hey, give us your money for a shirt with, with us on it. Yeah. Um, so I, I thought even 50 might be a stretch and I kind of thought we'd all have to sort of use our friends and family to kind of get us to that number. And we hit 50 on the first day. Yeah. Um, so, and then we, we, we upped it to what? 75. And then we upped it to hundred mm. and then we upped it to 125, And then we even like surpassed that. Yep. There was even a point where I was like, do we go to 150? But I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's scale it back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I think I, I speak for all of us when I think all of our expectations were, um, completely blown out of the water. And it says a lot about, um, the type of person that listens to this show. I was also blown away that Rob Thomas bought one at two in the morning, like on bonfire. I was like, I was like, he was up all night and decided to buy the shirt at 2 a.m., which I thought was really cool. I Didn't you? I more songs by that band. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he, 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 he really, he's, he, you keep making jokes about him. He's going to push you around. Is that a song? <laughs> that's another Jesus one. Christ. That's another, that's another I mean, one. It might be a song. I have no idea. <laughs> no. Um, but honestly, no, joking aside, the shirt is amazing. And the one thing that's cool about it is exactly what Sean said. It's, it's something you can be proud to wear. It's not like you were just giving your money to somebody. You were giving your money to people who actually needed it. And then you get something cool out of it. It's like the coolest, satisfacting, yeah. satisfactory thing you can do is donate money and then get something cool with it to also show that you donated. But every time you look in a mirror wearing that shirt, you're going to remember where that twenty five dollars went. You know, and I look in a mirror a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you're going to think about us first, which is most important. <laughs> right. You'll think about that awesome show that you listen to on a weekly basis. And then you'll think about the really nice thing you did. Damn it, Daenerys. 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 <laughs> Whatever her name is. By the way, everyone, every time I'm on a Zoom call with Jake, we're doing junkets. Everyone pronounces her name wrong. Like, yeah. I don't know if Jake, like, Jake's gotten to a point where he doesn't even correct it anymore because I, I, I know it's Daenerys. Dude, if, if I if I corrected every junket person that said something wrong, I wouldn't I would that would, I would spend all of my time. Do they doing say it the way that I say it? Daenerys. Daenerys. It's like like you watched Daenerys? Eight seasons of the show. <laughs> I did in a very short period of time. <laughs> yes. like, I don't get it. Like, that's a popular name. And a lot of people get it wrong. And I'm like. It's almost like Daenerys is a common name now, I would argue. But and I'm not Someone making fun of you, Sean. Sean. I just hear a lot of people make the same mistake that you do. But yeah, I yeah, wonder yeah. why. Yeah. All right. Weekly poll. Um, so later on in this week's episode, we're going to be playing um, a blender game involving the Coen brothers. And we're going to be discussing our favorite Coen brothers film. Uh, in order to lead us into that, I came up with one of the weekly polls where we uh, put four titles by the Coens up. You guys have to pick which one you are going to keep. 
The rest of them uh, never existed. The Coens never made these three films afterwards. I was A, stunned at the one that I chose uh, amongst these four, and B, stunned by the one that uh, has won the poll. Jake, did you see the poll results? I didn't, actually. I did not see the Good. one. All right. Your four choices were The Big Lebowski, right. Fargo, No Country for Old Men, and Inside Lewin Davis. You can pick to inside Lewin Davis. Well, I, I I picked it. I did the poll. I know, but like, why was that the fourth one? Um, I wait, wait, why I didn't you just pick the lady really killers? Great. No, I think Lewin Davis is really good. Inside you Lewin, put Davis. Lewin Davis on the level of the no, lady I, killers. No, I'm joking. But I'm just saying, like, for the fourth one, it seemed like it, it's not what I thought would have thought. I would have thought maybe the fourth one would have been one of their earlier works. I think the reason Raising why I chose that or... one is Lewin Davis has a strange following, like a, 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 a very hardcore following. Like, I think like all of their not lesser films, but secondary films yes. have very passionate like it. Like, I mean, it's, you know, like Lewin then, Davis you know, there's always is like considered to be like one of the best movies they ever I, made. I love, that was on my top 10 list. That yeah. year. I love that movie. But you're right, though, because it is an off the beaten path for them for yeah. the, for a film for them, I guess, whatever that would mean, because they made such different films throughout their careers. But I know sure. exactly what Jake is saying, because Lewin Davis is like it doesn't feel like a movie that was I mean, popular. When you say no country, when you say Fargo, when you say Lebowski. Yeah. It's, it doesn't seem like the next one you would say would be Lewin Davis. Anyway, I would say people chose because I genuinely don't know. I didn't see the results. I feel like the 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 watershed moment in their career was Fargo. So part of me wants to say just because of what our rationale for John Carpenter a couple of weeks ago, which is like not necessarily their best film, but like you don't get the others without this. Right. Um, right. Which is why they, I think people chose Halloween. Um, so I'm going to say Fargo because I would argue maybe you don't get Lebowski or or No Country uh, without their success from Fargo. Now, I voted Fargo for mm-hmm. that reason. And and the reason why I'm surprised about it is because when I first saw Fargo, I hated that movie. Interesting. I, why? You I, normally hear that about Lebowski. I don't like the pacing of it. Um I I they commit so fully to the northern midwestern mm-hmm. uh aura, atmosphere, accent, all of it that it was grating on me. But I understand 100% years later, having lived with it and, and you know, just grown with that movie, that's what they wanted to do and they needed to do it that way. It was, mm. They were really smart to do it. It's a, it's a brilliant film. But the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, God, I can't stand this. It was so annoying to me. <laughs> um, but I still voted for it because I would hate to see it not be part of their canon. It came in third in this poll. It came in third behind No Country for Old Men in second place, and Lebowski ended up winning uh, first place with a pretty significant amount of the vote. It got 40, 40% of the vote in the week. <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't want to insinuate that people are not thinking this poll through. Right. But is it possible that they're... Because I feel like the way you have to think about it is not... You're not picking what the best of the four are. Right. You're not picking what your favorite of the four. You're picking, like... The one that if it's removed from their filmography, it will have the biggest butterfly effect ripple repercussions. Right, right. I, I don't think Lebowski is it. I don't I, think Lebowski has the repercussions that Fargo does. No, I wouldn't have picked. And I mean, it, I could see maybe someone's justified like saying no country, because if you take away no country, you take away their 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 directing the best picture Oscars. Sure. Right. Um, But I don't think I, I feel like if you're really thinking about the question, I don't think Lebowski is the right answer. Now, Lebowski has had a tremendous impact on the culture, though. I mean, for a long time, there was a fan convention where people just got together to watch it, dress up like characters from it. I mean, it had a Star Trek level interest in a fan base. So, yeah. 
I don't know. So anyway, we're going to get into what we pick as our favorite uh, Coen Brothers films a little bit later on in the show. For now, I want to throw it to our interview for this week. Um, again, this is for Scoob. So Scoob is an animated feature film. It's coming from Warner Brothers. Uh, it is one of these test cases that was due to go to theatrical um, and due to some late minute changes, they uh, are pivoting and putting it on paid VOD. Part of the conversation uh, that we had with the director, Tony Cervoni, is how he feels about that. He gives it a, an amazingly emotional mm. response to that, uh, that that I don't think Kevin and I were really anticipating. And it's a no. great answer that you're going to want to have to hear. Um, I was just about to say, what did he say? <laughs> well, you'll hear it in a second, Jake. Um, but also, in addition to this, I think one of the things that well, I don't think we talked about it with him about just um, making content available for families. Like you're seeing a lot of these animated feature films uh, going to paid VOD and we're trying to figure out why. Like why does something like Scoob go uh, versus, you know, a Wonder Woman or a Tenant? Uh, why do they hold on to their theatrical release dates? And I think a, a lot of it is just families are cooped up at home right now. They're desperate for new content. And when they maybe looked at the Trolls uh, box office, they thought, oh, OK, maybe Scoob can do as well, if not maybe even better. Right. Like if, if we get uh, in front of a lot of families who are looking for distractions right now. But in addition to uh, that conversation, which we're having here, we get into a ton of stuff about um, Hanna-Barbera, the Warner Brothers archives, uh, some really great stuff about he worked on Space Jam. Uh you're going to hear it. It's a great uh, interview. So I want to throw it right now to the Real Blend interview with uh, Scoob director, Tony Cervoni. Uh, Tony, I have to say the, uh, the most exciting uh, moment in the film for me as someone who grew up loving Scooby-Doo is when you guys recreate the opening credits for Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Um, I couldn't believe how far you were going along on it. <laughs> and it's just all these memorable uh, moments coming back to me and flashing me right back to my childhood. So if you could just... Talk to me about the, the thought process to to work that into the movie. It was a great transition from the young characters to the old characters and just the fun it must have been to go back and, and look at those old images and recreate them. Uh, it was a ton of fun. And it's great that you, I'm, I'm really happy that that you liked it. Like we did have to come up with some kind of uh, uh, like a montage, some something, the growing up montage. Right. And so we just kicked around a whole bunch of different ideas, but then it was like, what's wrong with that opening? That opening is so iconic. Everyone loves it. It would be such a great way to see in, you know, the 3d version of some of those classic villains. Um, and actually we did it very late in the process. So we were like, can we even do this? We have to create a whole million sets that aren't anywhere else in the movie. And, and so like, <laughs> But then we're like, but let's be as faithful to it as, and that was always the goal for everyone was let's just recreate it and be as faithful as we can. So luckily that animation is kind of limited. So we're like, go with it. You know, like <laughs> that deep sea diving ghost, you know, Captain Cutler is not going to move very much, but that's, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> you wouldn't want to make a movie with that spacey, kooky, so uh, what is it? The spooky space kook, but, uh, <laughs> holds up for one shot you know as long as that shot is like half a second right right well thank you for including that it was really great oh, yeah. and i got uh because i think you guys will appreciate this um that is don messick's original spacey spooky space kook laugh which wow hasn't been used in like 50 years so oh my god yeah we found it we didn't we couldn't believe we found it and so um and of course we used it 
So that is the real laugh. That is Don Messick, the original voice of Scooby-Doo, doing that character's laugh. And and uh, let it, this out of also Muttley. That's Billy West doing Muttley speaking voice. Wow. Honestly, no one can do that Muttley laugh. Everyone thinks they could do it, right? Like I'm sure that it's like people you could do it at a party, and people think you could do it. Right. But an actual accurate Muttley laugh for a movie, we we couldn't. We just we're stuck. Well, that's the thing. I saw he was credited, or at least archival stuff was credited. And I wondered, you know, because first of all, you don't bring Muttley back to late into the story. And I was like, oh, where is he going to get used? And so that's what it is. It's the laugh that you had to pull. Well, that is in. But I've been told for 25 years that no, those clean tracks don't exist. Right. And then we we found them. in. Where Warner did you Bro- find them? In Warner Brothers Deep Archives. The deep archives are at the bottom of a salt mine in Kansas. What? How did you even know to look there? We put that's where we put all our old stuff. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's insane. It's, it's perfectly dry and perfectly dark and nothing deteriorates down there. What so. else is down there? Yeah. Oh, everything. Another thing that we pulled last year or two years ago, because you know Animaniacs is coming back on Hulu. Yeah. For the pitch to pitch that. We're like, well, we should find the original art. So we again went down into the salt mine and it was down there. So I worked on the original Animaniacs. So and I was I helped set that pitch up with Sam Register and stuff. So I'm opening up boxes, finding my own artwork that had been <laughs> sitting in a salt mine. Like it was one of the weirdest what? experiences. <laughs> awesome. Very awesome, but weird. It's really <laughs> weird. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, uh, yesterday Warner Brothers did a virtual press junket uh, for the film, and I, I was able to interview Will Forte. And this is something that I thought that he was going to hear all day, but he said he hadn't really made the connection. I'm assuming I, I was wondering if you had or if this was just coincidence. So Will's real name is Orville. Shaggy's real name is Norville. And I found that I, I know the names are different, but that coincidence is just insane to me. That is an insane coincidence. And no, I hadn't thought of it either. Because we have the Norville, you know, we have him saying I'm Norville in the movie. But wow, yeah. I did not think of that. That's a, that's great. <laughs> but I think the actor who says I'm Norville is the younger version of Shaggy, right? What, yeah, that's Ian so, Armitage from uh, from Young Sheldon. Right. So I guess my question is for Will Forte specifically, Shaggy is a very Shaggy's voice is iconic. The character is iconic, but the voice is iconic. And obviously the zoinks and the different uh, words that he says. But one thing Will Forte does well, which I think is interesting, is he he still makes Shaggy his own, but it's still Shaggy. Um, so I was just curious, was that something what, what are discussions you have with Will about that? Like, how do you find his Shaggy, but also keep it classic? Well, we worked we worked real hard on it, to be honest. And and all of the gang and and I would say all of the characters. We wanted to be respectful to who the who the character was, but we have some talented actors in this movie. Like we also want them to bring more of themselves to the characters. And that goes for all the characters. But Shaggy was going to go to an emotional place in this movie that was going to be a little bit. A little, you know, he's got some, Shaggy has more lines in this movie than anyone. He has all the heavy lifting. So we're like, we, we got to find that right comfort zone that's enough Will and enough Shaggy that those more emotional moments are believable. Does that, does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you. But, but it's the same thing with like, 
like, I love the cast of the gang because I'm like, Zach is kind of Fred and, and Amanda is yeah. kind of Daphne and Gina kind Gina definitely is Velma. Like, if you had to make a live action movie, I think this cast would hold up because I feel like as mm. types, as people types and archetypes of character, it's a really good match. It's a mm. real jolt when I see the five of them united for the first time as kids, though. I don't realize how much, like, I'm obviously a huge Marvel guy. I love DC. There's teams that come together. But when I saw the five of them united in your film, I got a real jolt. I was so excited to say, look at this little origin story for these guys. <laughs> I mean, that one shot where, you know, where Fred comes and let, you know, goes to and offers Shaggy his hand, you know, and it's very purposefully framed where there's a street light behind him and, and it's Fred in shining armor looking, yeah. you know, it's, it's almost religious, you know, yeah. like, but like, and all very purposefully done. But I mean, I, I get a little choked up myself from looking and I'm like, yeah, look at that. Like they're like angels in a way, you know, like we definitely tried to make that as feel like a real moment when that gang comes together. So as someone who um, also grew up really heavily on the Hanna Barbera, Barbera archive of characters, and uh, was obsessed with the All-Star Laugh Olympics and and all these characters you have at your disposal. I'm just curious about the decision to use Blue Falcon and Dynamite. Like, you had so many people you could have gone with. Why did you choose those two as the ones you're going to bring back and, and heavily incorporate into the story? Um, I love Blue Falcon and Dynamite. They were in the original script, and it was always like, yeah, great, that's who I'd put in there. So, <laughs> but And I really like the idea of, of Brian. You know, because it, it does let us take some liberties with the Blue Falcon character. I love the idea that somewhere there's a Gary Owens Blue Falcon roaming around, you know, in retirement in this universe. <laughs> um, that guy is a real guy. He really existed. You know, Dynamut's been updated over the years. So, like, I guess 1976 was, you know, the Windows 3.0 Dynamut. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, we got an updated dynamite, but it's still the same dynamite. Um, I, I I love all these characters, so it's great to take liberties with them, but I don't ever want to stray too far from who they you know who they really are. There was a moment where Brian was going to call his father, uh, and he never gets through. Did you ever get? Were you ever going to have a voice? In the yeah, line? I know. We talked about it a bunch of times, and I was like, "What was that? You know, who? What? We we actually." written in boarded scenes where he actually does talk to his father. Oh, but, really? But but the reason we didn't go with it is because I'm like, because we ultimately decided that this father relationship is really with Dynamite. You know, like, yeah. this is their problem and we shouldn't let a character we've never seen resolve their problem. This is their beef and they need to, they need to come out in the open and settle it. And mm. And that's why we did what we did. Very cool. I really want to take a deep dive with you in regards to just filmmaking, um, because I've always been blown away by I know I know you worked in animation on Space Jam and just the, the different styles of animation that you've worked on throughout your career. Um, it's really interesting. I'm talking to you today because I was watching footage of Space Jam on The Last Dance the other night. And uh, and I was just I was still wondering how the hell that you pulled that off in regards to making it look that way. And you, you go back to like Zemeckis doing um, Roger Rabbit. Those 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 things are just amazing to see. I was wondering if you could talk about the animation you were dealing with then where you're mixing live with hand drawn to going full CGI here. 
and what that difference is for you as a filmmaker. I, I, I know technically the challenge was probably very hard in the 90s compared to now with what CGI we have now. But can you compare about the process there? I mean, Space Jam, it was really hard. But one thing about Space Jam is it it is pretty groundbreaking in in a lot of in a lot of technological ways, like the dip, big difference between Space Jam and uh, Roger Rabbit is green screen. Like we oh, shot wow. that, we put Michael Jordan in a virtual stadium in 1990. That was happening in 1995. Right. Like we knew we could draw a rabbit into a scene, but we didn't know if we could put a man in a computer generated set. Mm. Like I wow. honestly like those day, that first day, uh, yeah, there's a there was we shot a bunch of stuff with with Michael Jordan on a green screen with tracking balls and everyone's explaining how this was going to work but no one knew what anyone was talking about in those days and then when we got dailies back of uh, in a, 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 specifically it were, was those slow motion shots of Michael just shooting around in the in the the Looney Tunes gym. Pitka and I, Joe Pitka and I were sitting there in dailies looking at each other like, what is this? What are, what have we done? Because we had never seen it. No one, we, no one had ever seen. Like those shots to me were like the ones that just blew my mind. Right. How did you actually achieve them? If you don't mind me asking, how did you, when, when did you realize it was going to work? And how did you technically achieve that, that, that matchup? I, I mean, it was explained to us that this was a thing that people could do now, <laughs> but no one had ever seen it before. And so we're like, okay, let's try it. Like we built a CG gym. It looked cool, but no one had ever put a person in it before. Like no one ever put a living. We were pretty confident we could draw into it, you know, and then, and comp it in. But the moving camera, especially a Pitco moving camera, like that's so precise Pitka and then Michael Chapman was the cinematographer of Space Jam the man shot Taxi Driver Raging Bull and Space Jam like <laughs> that's an amazing list <laughs> oh my god no wonder that stuff looks good but, but it was shocking but there's all, all kinds of weird things and if you go back and watch the movie now that we didn't know how to do and we didn't know what we were doing and it's cheated like crazy like we were very late in the game when we realized we couldn't make a basket well the actual basket we couldn't make oh. a cg basket huh so because the technology didn't exist to have a CG ball go through the net. I'm sorry, not the basket, the net. Okay. Oh. So no one, computers couldn't figure out a ball going through a net in 1996 or five or whenever we were finishing the move six. Um, so at the last minute, we were like, go shoot a bunch of nets and <laughs> stick them in there. And it's like, yeah, they, they, look, they don't look that good. But it's because we didn't realize we couldn't do it. Wow. Wow. I can't believe that you that you were working on a film not almost knowing exactly how it was going to work. No, how, we, we didn't know how anything was going to work. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Ball during the game, like, sometimes we're like, it's a CG ball, and then we're like, can it just be a photograph of a ball? And so, like, a lot of times, like, when they're pa passing the ball to bugs and a 2D character will catch the ball, it's like, 
it's, it's not really a CG ball. It's just a photograph of a ball. No one knows. <laughs> so there's there's so much smoke and mirrors in Space Jam. It's crazy. Now, are you privy to what they're doing in the sequel? Have you seen any? Like, have they overcome a lot of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. They can, they can make a basket. They can make a net now. It'd <laughs> be funny if they use the original nets from your movie in the, in the new one. No, even like they literally like we went out and shot a bunch of nets and then tried to rot and then tried to stick them in the in the movie and it's like the angles don't match. The rotos look like crap. Like I don't know. You That's know, the best we could. Uh, I'll bring it back to Scoob for a second. Um, the Takamoto bowling caught my eye. Uh, I knew it had to be a reference. Um, I, it went over my head, but I dug it up and re- uh, realized the episode you're referencing. Um, I was hoping for maybe like the Harlem Globetrotters to potentially show up. Um, I talked about it for. Well, that's what I wanted to. I wanted to know, like, how did you guys? He has such a rich history of references you could go to in the in the archive of the character. How did you decide what to use and what not to use? And tell me about the Globetrotters because I'd love to know. No, I mean we love. Everyone loves the Globetrotters. So we're like, is there a way we could sneak the Globetrotters in? And I think at once there was like a cyclone scene or what they go through the ice chasm to get Mm -hmm. to. At one point, that was the Bermuda Triangle and it was a whirlpool and there was all kinds of stuff in the whirlpool that they were dodging through. So we're like, can we put the the Globetrotters van, you know, bus in that whirlpool? But uh, we wound up going with the ice chasm. So. But yeah, they did. We we try. We did talk about sneaking them in. But no. But uh, cameos are really important to Scooby Doo universe. So we did. We did find a. You know, we have a good way to sneak in a, a cameo, a celebrity cameo, and and I, I was in that celebrity cameo. If you remember on Scooby Doo, like if Dick Van Dyke or Don Knotts or Mama Cass were in a cartoon, they were always drawn a little bit more realistically than, than Fred and Daphne were like, they're a little bit more realistic. So the caricature would work. So when Simon's in this movie, we're like, we got to make him more human. So like, (laughs) so like Simon's like, he's the only character in the movie that has like actual eyelashes and eyebrows and, hairy chest we had to do all like we're like we're gonna like lean into the detail he has like a real stubble on his beard so like we actually pulled turned all the detail knobs up when (laughs) appears in the movie but we did that purposefully to honor that is he a fan or did you guys just wanted to use him and he agreed to do it we wanted to use him and he agreed to do it very quickly and then we're like whoa that was quick (laughs) nothing (laughs) nothing really happens that quick and then, uh, and then when we met him, it turns out he is a huge Scooby Doo fan, as well as his son Eric. And he and Eric watch Scooby Doo every day. And if there is a real Scooby Doo expert, it is Simon Cowell. That guy knows his stuff. So we got really lucky. It was a total coincidence. Like I, we didn't know, but but uh, he was great, and he, and we couldn't have asked for we couldn't ask for anything better than that. And it was great having both of them. We got Eric. Eric has a cameo in the movie, too. You know, one of the things I love about animation is just hearing different actors try out voice acting. And and because the idea of their face not being on screen, but having to give you those emotions through an animated character while giving you that voice. 
Um, what I find interesting are the things that actors have to do in the booths in order to get those sounds that you need. Um, and I've, I've heard stories like where some directors will just do a, a day of just grunts or, pa- or certain passes. Can you explain your process of picking up those strange sounds, like those those breathings, the, you know, the what, any type of strange sound that might be in the movie that you have to have the actor do? Like, are those are those weird to do? Yeah, you you kind of do them at the end of a recording session some, you, and you eventually build a library of them, you know, all those. And the cool thing about those sounds is you almost never use them in a way you intent, you thought you were going to use them. You know, oh. like you might go, Oh, this is a grunt where you're, you know, you're getting punched in the stomach or you're throwing a punch. And then it's like, Nope, we didn't use it for punching. We used it for <laughs> something else. So it always kind of comes out of the editorial process where you're like, Remember, there was that squeaky little sound he did at the end of a line. Can we clip that off and sneak it in the middle of a completely different line? And so, yeah, we do. There's a lot of Frankensteining and putting things together. But that's the fun of it. Um, I want to talk about uh, casting Henry Winkler, who also has a history uh, with Scooby-Doo and the Fonz. <laughs> um, he has a strong Hanna-Barbera presence so. Talk about, yeah, talk about getting him and then choosing the role that you wanted to use him for and just getting the, the ability to collaborate with him. Um, I've I've worked with Henry Winkler a bunch of times, or not a bunch of times, I think three times before. And Duck Dodgers, he was a character. Um, but I, this is kind of a personal story because as a kid, I, I was a huge Happy Days fan. Mm-hmm. And also I was a, a huge... I really loved television as a kid. And uh, I started realizing that all my favorite shows were made by Gary Marshall, a guy named Gary Marshall. Sure. So then when I, I got here, Gary Marshall lived in the Toluca Lake, where, which is where I live. So, and he's not, a, he wasn't a shy man. So you would all of a sudden see Gary Marshall. And then I can't remember the first thing I worked I, that he came in and did a voice on because if you remember the movie Lost in America, the Albert Brooks movie, he's yeah. so he's so good in that movie. He was so good at voices. So anyway, Gary kind of became like almost like a rabbit's foot for me. Like uh, he was in everything, and even when I did Scooby Doo Kiss, which is what I finished before I started this movie, that wound up being Gary's last thing, you know. And Penny Marshall, both Gary and Penny Marshall were in that. So I've always had this happy days kind of rabbit's foot and then i had to make and then so now this movie and i'm like absolutely gary marshall would have been in this movie (laughs) but but then i'm like what do i do so i'm like fonzie will you be in this movie so So there's a little bit of like my own superstition of i i need to kind of keep that going plus i just love henry winkler and and i people ask what he's like and i and i mean this is if there's one person cooler than Fonzie, it's Henry Winkler. And that's the truth, but in a completely different way than, than the Fonz. Right. He was actually, Henry was cast as someone else. Uh, there's a scene and uh, it'll be on the DVD extras and stuff, but there was a whole scene where Dastardly got the first skull from in Peru. It, it was hidden in, in Machu Picchu. Um, and when the, and the, and there was a whole scene with this guy who was funding these archaeological expedi- expeditions, and then it turned out it was dastardly, and he like unmasks himself. It was like the first unmasking, and Henry had played that character 
But then we cut that scene from the movie. And and I, I was kind of gutted by it because um, I was like, now Henry's not in a movie. But then we asked him, would you just be Keith, the 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 <laughs> the, uh, the not seen assistant on the yeah. Falcon Fury? And he's like, sure. So he came in and did it. This, this is something I'm actually interested in knowing. You, you, you have a, this is actually in the trailer as well, where I think Shaggy says, I want The Rock to play me. Um, and you're and you're making a movie with a studio that's worked with The Rock. When you make when you write a joke like that and put it in the film, is there ever a, a thought like, huh, maybe we should just call him and cue him in for this like a dream sequence? Like, does that does that conversation ever even start? Yeah, that happens all the time. Do you remember I, I worked on a show called Duck Dodgers? Duck Dodgers, what we would do is we have John Favreau had a show called Dinner for Five. Yeah, I, mean, I love, love that, that show. show. Great love show. It. We Spike Brandt and I watched. We love that show. Terrific. So we would watch it and go, hey, that guy was great. These or She was great. He was great. Call him. <laughs> and then we would cast them and put them in Duck Dodgers. <laughs> so like and, and people are like, hey, do you want to be in a Daffy Duck show? Yeah. And, and a good story like that was. Uh, I had read an interview with Tarantino where he said he wanted to play my pay in Kill Bill and was talked out of it. You know, the the master, the the bride's master in. Oh, Pai Mei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted to play that character um, and was talked out of it. So I'm like, hey, that's cool. Let's make let's put Pai Mei in Duck Dodgers and ask Tarantino to do it. What? And so we did. And then he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I want to do this. I'm like, yeah, we knew you wanted to do it. You said it in an interview. So then we just did what you said. <laughs> That's, that's insane. Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's that simple. Somewhere, it's somewhere. But yeah, that's when Tarantino came in to do it. It's so just like, every just like one neighborhood, but people just yeah, hanging out, <laughs> doing favors for each other. Well, I guess we spend too much time on the on the internet and reading and reading stuff. But like, if anyone says, "I love Scooby Doo," they're getting a phone call. You know, like that's just the way it is. <laughs> I love Scooby-Doo, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right, well, we're going to make something next. So. We're in the sequel. Uh, I want to ask about something I think you have a lot of familiarity with, and it, it struck me, again, going back to the kids and their first mission, which was just going into a haunted house to get, get, to get candy back, essentially. But it conjures such a memory of just like, what are some of the secrets to drawing a memorable haunted house? in the Scooby-Doo universe? That's a great question, because we wanted this to be a very stereotypical or, or arch, archetypical Scooby-Doo haunted house. Um, but we also wanted it to be cool in and of itself. You know, like, and I think it's a mix of the architecture of the house being pretty cool and and feeling right. We put a lot of time in a haunted Victorian, you know, and then, but a lot of it too was camera angles and lighting and just making sure and timing like them in that, that is straight up horror movie timing, right? Like yeah, there, we got, have a shot from, you know, the shot from Halloween, you know, through the mask is from Halloween, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> straight up just going to steal stuff. So, <laughs> um, so that was a big part of it was just like, oh, we could do this with a real camera and real lights and like, what if we shot Scooby-Doo like a horror movie with kids? That was fun. You know, this is a film that I think obviously people are going to be experiencing at home with VOD right now. And uh, in, the, in the times that we're in, it's, it makes perfect sense. I, I, I'm just curious to ask you as a filmmaker, 
uh, what are your thoughts just in general about the industry right now? I mean, I know it's a kind of like a dark turn I just took in regards to going from like the fun talk, but, but I'm just curious as a filmmaker, like, you know, this is a movie that you envisioned to be played in the theater. You envisioned it to have an, uh, an audience, but it's also going to have a special audience at home now. And I think, you know, people are really going to need something like this. So in, in, all, in all honesty, it's a, probably a really great thing that people are going to be given this this weekend. Uh, um, so I'm just curious, just from your perspective, like what your thoughts are and just in general about what's going on. Um, do you do you love do you like VOD? I mean, are you going to miss the theatrical? What are your thoughts just in general about the industry? I mean, I, I think you I think you summed it up really nicely. Like, yeah, I'm a, yeah, there's a part of me that's bummed, you know, like this is a this is a two, three, nine cinemascope movie. It's a giant movie. It's it's a big movie. In every way we could make it big. I I wanted to go to the Cinerama Dome, you know, in Hollywood and watch the move that this movie at my favorite cinema, you know, at that theater. Like it was a goal for five years. Mm. So am I bummed? Yeah. But these are weird times and and people are kind of screwed. And it's just like you said, I think, I think, uh, I think it is important. I, I've been saying, and people ask me about it, and I'm like, if you look at the food people have been eating in quarantine, right? Like it's all super carb related. Like the number one thing we're eating is like sourdough bread and banana bread and like, <laughs> I've had a lot of banana bread, weirdly enough. I didn't know that was a thing, but my wife's made two of them. Yeah, I, we've, we never ate banana bread before. Now it's like that's staple in the house. It's every week my wife is baking one. Yeah, banana bread. So like, <laughs> and Scooby and Shaggy are are the movie equivalent of warm banana bread. Uh. <laughs> right? Like, it's really true. It's their comfort food. This is comfort food. And this is in times of crisis, it's diets go out the window and we seek comfort. And I, and this movie is bright and colorful and fun and summery and, and, and also emotional. And I think all these, it's all, it's, it's good medicine for these days, you know? Yeah. It's almost like this weird thing where it it almost, it, 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 it was intended for theaters, but it became the movie it was supposed to be for the people who needed it right now in a strange way. And I, and I, I, I like your perspective on it, but it is it, it's it's meant to be. We need it right now. Yeah, no, I, I mean, if this wasn't happening and they decided to go to VOD, I'm sure I'd be freaking out about it. But <laughs> <laughs> but it is happening and it is the reason it's happening, like. I'll say one thing, and that's the studio has been really supportive of this movie. Yeah. Like, this is a big property. Scooby-Doo is a big property for Warner Brothers, and it always has been. And they're not kidding around. You know, like, we got the support. And we got yeah. the support of everyone. Like We can see that. Uh, as Just from the outside perspective, we can see how much support this film is getting from Warner Brothers and just how everyone's behind it. So that is being seen just from an audience perspective. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I oh. feel it. I definitely feel it. So, And I want to emphasize to everybody, too, um, like when Tony says this is a big movie, he means it. I mean, it's the, the animation in it is breathtakingly gorgeous. Um, yeah. It is one of these films you're going to want to put on your on the biggest screen you have in your house <laughs> and turn the volume up loud. It won't fit on your phone. No, no, yes. it will not. 
Yeah, can we uh, say this? No phones, please. Watch it on a proper television screen so you can get the full scope of it. I mean, I think that that's part of the thing that people are don't realize because with, you know, we know the origin story and we know the, the we see them as kids and all that's awesome, but it is a big movie. It gets yep. big. So, and I think that's, you know, I think that's going to be a nice surprise. Well, and one of the things too to emphasize is it's one of the ones that plays to to parents just as much, you know, as as a father of two boys who grew up, you know, taking my kids to the theaters, you endured a lot of stuff just for them. There's a lot of stuff in there for for mom and dad. In I this hope movie. so. I mean, there's all these references like they're not in there for kids, you know, they're in there for us. So, and, and a lot, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, thank you, and it, and it was uh, it. Uh, you know, I've, I've said, uh, you know, like, this is like a love letter to Hanna-Barbera. Like I, I've been at Warner brothers a long time. I've done a lot of work with the Looney Tunes, but I knew everyone at Hanna-Barbera, you know, like I know these, it's different. I have a different relationship with Hanna-Barbera than I do with kind of the Looney Tune world. And a lot of these people aren't with us anymore, but I could still hear them in my head. So this is for this is kind of for them, you know. Tony, what would be your dream follow-up character to put in a feature? Thunder Barbarian. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a. I can't. I, I can't turn my camera off. I have <laughs> yeah. pitch art from the original Thunder in my in my house. It's right there. Really, really. Thunder to Barbarian. Like, and- I talk. I've been talking about Thunder to Barbarian for years. There's certain <laughs> things I love, and I'm like, oh yeah. But I would want like a hard rated R, John Milius Thunder to Barbarian. You know? <laughs> Actually, if you don't mind me, if if you don't mind me asking this, you mentioned the R rating. I, I know we have to let you go. But what do you think of Kevin Smith's like uh, Scooby Universe in the Jay and Silent Bob movie when it was a little bit more R rated? Did you, you see, see that? that? Oh, you haven't seen Jay and Silent Bob, the original Strike Strike Back. It's worth checking out. Oh wait, I have seen it. No, no, no. Oh yes. Shit. I'm sorry. I thought you meant the new, the new Jay and Silent Bob movie. Oh, that one I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah, the original one. That's great. You know what? Kevin is great, and Kevin is a fan of this stuff, obviously. But yeah. he has been a big supporter again from the Duck Dodgers days, right? We were like, "Hey, Kevin, you want to come in and do the voice of Green Lantern?" Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know he was, was well it's Scooby Kiss both he you know we both he and, and Jason Muser in are in that so there's been a bunch of times and Kevin is great like Kevin it's the best Kevin supports his people you know and that's yeah. that guy is a that guy is a gem Tony listen we could talk to you forever we know you have a full press day yeah this was fun we're so thankful to have you on Real Blind, man. It was fantastic. Great stories. Let's do it again. Well, I got, we got, we got, what we got, tattoo, I got a lot more to way. talk about. Which one? What's this tattoo, right? Uh, it's a skull and a horseshoe because okay. my dad had, with my initials on it. And then that's a, a raven. Oh, cool. Wow. wow. It's yeah, funny you brought up awesome. Kill Bill. I have, uh, I have the Hattori Hanzo. Oh, there you go. Why did, of course you know what I'm talking about that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and thank sweet. you so much. Congratulations to you, seriously. Yeah, Tony, it was a blast. We loved it. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. We want to thank our friends over at Warner Brothers for putting Tony on the podcast. He was a really great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Make sure you hit us up on social or send us a uh, an email to realblend 
at cinemablend.com to let us know what you thought about the conversation. Um, I want to get right to talking points because there's a lot of news actually happening, things that are relevant to you guys. And I'm going to start with our very own Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, who broke some news this past week when he had Nev Campbell on his Zoom from Home series that Jake has been crushing it with. Uh, so Jake is doing this thing where he's just throwing it out, throw out the net to just about anybody. Hey, come on and talk with me. Now, this Nev Campbell was part of a junket, though, I'm pretty sure. But you're also Correct. getting yeah. amazing people yeah. just by throwing out the uh, the fishing lures and seeing who bites. <laughs> and some people say no. <laughs> some, tell that story. Please. Tell that story. <laughs> So, you know, so it's, it's funny. There's actually more to the story. I don't know if you guys know. Um, so, I, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm casting a wide net and I'm like, I'm 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 going fishing for some big fish without expectations of them actually responding to me. But like we live in a time where everyone's stuck at home. Yeah. And I think people would like to hear what a lot of these celebrities celebrities are doing. So I'm reaching out to people and just sending tweets and saying like, hey, like got 10 minutes. Want to chat with me? People of Chicago would love to hear 98% of the time, I get no response whatsoever. Like, there's very little chance that Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to respond to a reporter in Chicago. You know, he's he's got a few things going on. He doesn't have time for me. But then every once in a while, you get a John Boyega who's like, yeah, let me show you around my house and show you yeah. all the Star Wars props. Um, I'm going to chat with Kevin Smith tomorrow because he was like, all right, just for love of God, stop tweeting at me. I'll give you something. <laughs> um, and so I tweeted William Shatner and said, hey, man, like, I'm a fan, you know, people from Chicago would love to hear from you, like any chance that you would want to do a quick Zoom interview. And he, he not only did he respond, he quote tweeted my tweet and just wrote no. Period. <laughs> but OK, here's the best part. Oh, someone responded to him basically saying like you didn't have to be rude, like you could have like you could have there. There's a better way you could have said that. And he screenshot the, my tweet and the fact that I followed him right before I tweeted him, it was like he something something along the lines of like one, if he were a real fan, he would know I don't do podcasts, and he only followed me to ask me that question. Ooh, and I what Ooh. I really wanted to wow. respond with. You're really on a shit. I really list. wanted, yeah. What I really yes. <laughs> what I really wanted to respond <laughs> with, but but it's never a good look to get into a fight with a 90 year old man on on Twitter. What I really wanted to say was, one, I disagree. I was asking you to be on my morning show, not on my podcast. You're not a big enough name for my podcast. <laughs> and two, I unfollowed you three months ago after you failed to show up at our interview in Chicago. That's right. And then whenever you could have made it right, you didn't. And I, yeah, like I did just follow you, but I was following you because I was a fan. And three, I guess all the stories I've heard about you being an asshole really are true. <laughs> But I chose not to say those things good. on Twitter. I'm glad you didn't say those things. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just not a good look. William Shatner, no William Shatner, I did not invite you to be on this podcast because between getting some pretty big people like tomorrow who we're getting, who I'm not going to say, and Quentin Tarantino and, uh, you know, some of the other friends of the show, I don't think we've Tony got Cervone. time and, <laughs> and here's the thing like like jake jake is not being mean here this is literally what happened like that's actually what occurred he responded to jake's tweet to all of his followers and just said no like this is like and like, then like, took a screenshot of me like yeah. of my having followed him and told like he like he must not be a one if he were a real fan he would know i don't do podcasts and look everyone he only just followed me just now because that's how you can tell if someone's a real fan by whether you follow them on social media it, 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 it's really strange i you should have responded with this because he can't do this by the way 
<laughs> I, I've told you this story before, right? Like yeah. on set, oh, yeah, they yeah. had they had fishing wire pulling his fingers apart on in the scene in Khan when him and Spock like off to the side. There are people literally yanking his fingers apart because he can't do it. And I always found that what I really should have responded with was no wonder everyone likes Nimoy better. Oh, I think it's fair to say that he faced the wrath of Jake. That was good, man. That was good. That was good. That All was right. Good. So anyway, uh, <laughs> Hamilton, not Jake Hamilton, but the uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda Broadway show. We knew it was coming to Disney Plus. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Wait, no, we didn't. We thought it was going to theaters uh, and it was going to go to theaters. Was it later this year or was it next year? Even? 2021. Next year, 20, it was 20. Yeah. Wasn't it October of 2021? My wedding. It would have been, it would have been my fifth wedding anniversary. It was te- October 15th. 2021 moved to July 3rd to Disney Plus July 2020. All right. So wow. that, that's a significant shift. And massive. Uh, we were having some conversations about. So they've filmed it already. Like how much work would they even have to do on it? Were they holding it till next year just to find the like a better window to release it in? Is that what was going to take it so long? Because I would assume well, most of the work has kind of been done on it. I was reading some of the press releases for it. Um, I saw I saw that show in that theater um, we were lucky enough to see that cast with uh, with Leslie Odom Jr. and David Diggs and and um, that's insane and uh, Lin Manuel Miranda and we actually went. How long before Miranda left? I'll have to ask Lauren. But what were you guys? You guys are someone. Something's well, going I'm, on. No, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I, I gotta I gotta mention it as part of the show. We never talked about the Scream Five news, <laughs> oh. which is why I brought up Jake's <laughs> interviews. We just <laughs> shat all over William Shatner instead. Jake, real quick, say, tell me about yeah, we are, we are kind of we are kind of craving that they have news. Campbell's coming yeah, back to Scream Five. Okay, there we go. Good. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, keep going. You saw that show. Well, no, Jake. At least just say what you no, asked. That's her. it. That's it. Like, no, like I asked Neff Campbell if she was coming back. The directors of Ready or Not are, are doing Scream Five. Um, she said that they've approached her. Uh, I, I guess kind of conversations have halted because of uh, COVID-19, but she seems to really like the, the ideas that they are coming with. Because keep also keep in mind, this will be the first one that won't be directed by, by Wes Craven. Wes Craven, yeah. So I think she was a little um, apprehensive to, to, to jump into a screen movie that wasn't under the, the direction of Wes. Um, but it seems like she is impressed by what they've pitched so far. And based on her quote to me, it really sounds like she's probably going to be coming back. Haven't we at least seen enough versions <clears throat> of franchises that do get passed off to... Like, you know, J.J. doing a Star Trek or even or even a Star Wars. Um, yeah. The, the guys who just did Bad Boys. Like, if you're a passionate enough fan of the original source material and then you get one of the original stars to come back, I think that's enough of the yeah. ingredients to make it feel like yeah. the original well, bit. So my yeah. only, the only thing about that, and it's the same reason I was a little worried about Top Gun, uh, was not having Tony Scott come back. Yeah. And then when I saw Joe Kaczynski's like footage, I was I was blown away by it. I figured that had a lot to do with Tom Cruise implementing probably what Tony had done years ago, but also updating it with the current technology. But Scream's an interesting one because I would 100% watch a Scream 5, but the Wes Craven aspect of, of it is something that I would have a hard time looking past. Also, there's a joke in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back um, where they run into a scream set. And I think Wes Craven like makes a joke and makes the killer a monkey versus like. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like that joke was actually kind of. Kind and of, also they're in Scream 3. Right. And uh, I, I totally forgot they were in Scream 3. So in- yeah. interestingly enough, I feel like that joke is kind of like Scream's kind of already had its run. 
Like, yeah, like you're yeah. making a joke about the they're just trying to find crazy killers now. Because I, I will say this, Scream 2, that was one of my favorite twists ever. I love Scream 2. Billy's mom being the killer was such a great Lori idea. Metcalf. Like, yeah, well, I mean, what an amazing... It was Lori Metcalf and Timothy Oliphant. That oh, twist... Really? <laughs> Spoiler um, alert. I didn't see that coming at all. Because, I mean, I still think the ending of the first Scream with Lillard and Skeet Ulrich is just iconic. But to have his mom come back was just perfect. I just don't know now. I feel like the killer reveal now is more of a bit than it well, is. Because yeah. wasn't three like three? It was like her long lost brother that she never knew she had a brother yeah. or something like that. And I honestly, I can't even remember what four was. And they're going to keep finding. I, I, I rewatched one and two this past weekend. And you're right. They're both they're Oh, they hold up so Great. well. And then I got about halfway through three and went, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> That's why but I don't think suggested. Five- yeah. Someone suggested five should be they're trying to remake Scream and like fans of the original end now, up being the killers, like two now, fans of the original. That's funny. That's, that's, that's funny, but that's clever. That's that's a, I don't that's know a, if that's what they're going to do, but that I, I feel like that'd be a nice reference to Wes. Yeah. You know, we really played around with the the night, the final nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, I, I, I like uh, was it New Nightmare? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that Freddy yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. I like that. You know, oh, be cool. that was great. You know, it'd be cool. Like if they did that idea, Sean, and then for the famous scene in scream one, when Jamie Kennedy and all of them are watching Halloween, they're watching yeah. scream. They're scream? watching scream. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, it's, yeah. right. And then you have the new Jamie Kennedy character, like going, all right, here she goes. She's about to go in there. And they, and, and they yeah. almost, it becomes so meta <laughs> that you're making a meta movie about a meta film. I, I don't Let's do it. That's such a good idea that I'm going to be disappointed if it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great idea. It's layers. Yeah, it's better on paper. All right. But the reason why I wanted to get to the Hamilton news to jump back forward to the news that we were talking about is the, the conversation about since Hamilton's going to be on Disney Plus, they likely so we don't have confirmation to this, but they likely are going to censor it. Right. No one has confirmed this. They instead pulled a very old quote or from February uh, from Lynn Mel- Lynn Manuel Miranda saying that. If they were to uh, bleep out the language in Hamilton, he would be okay with it because his reasoning mm. is the ki- your kids know, according to his quote, I'm paraphrasing, your kids know the songs by heart anyway. Um, and if it, if this is a way, putting it on Disney Plus is a way for it to reach a larger audience, uh, he'd be okay with that. <clears throat> I agree with the people who are saying that that feels like a little bit of a sellout. Um, I don't necessarily know if he should agree to that, but that Disney check is enormous, I would imagine. And um, it's probably hard to turn down. But but I'm going to say this about about bleeped out music or clean versions of songs, because my kids listen to a ton of hip hop and I don't, kids bops. Oh, no, 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 not kids bops. Legitimate like PJ is into hip hop and he listens to normal versions of the songs. Brendan wants to be like his brother, so he listens to the exact same songs, but he listens to clean versions. And all the smart uh, rappers are smart enough to put out clean versions of all of their big hits. But when you get to the the bleeped out version of, of whatever word is coming, I mean, it's so blatantly obvious that it's so it's ridiculous that they even took it out. I mean, it's so and I kind of feel like the same thing is going to happen with Hamilton. It's structured in such. Now, I've never seen Hamilton. I've never seen it in any way, shape or form. But I would assume that the lyrics are structured in a way that that every word matters. So you're going to know exactly what word they're saying. Am I wrong to assume that? The entire process of hip hop, in my opinion, in the way words flow in hip hop is based on the language used. Like the way the syllables a word has plays into the structure of a rhyme. So 
to your point, I think it's a ridiculous notion that you would censor this. Um, mm. It's a historical piece of uh, a, a historical piece of entertainment that is that was purely loved by everybody that saw it on Broadway that, like you just said, know the lyrics to it. So why not if you if your kids already know the lyrics, why can't they just hear it one more time? And that's mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it's doing a disservice to the material because I don't think the cursing in Hamilton is done to curse. It's done to emphasize a scene or a character or a moment. And we I think we forget sometimes how powerful a curse word can be used in regards to when a curse word is delivered. You talk about F-bomb and you're not using it every other word. It has significance when you hear that F-bomb. It, there, there's a weight to it, the way a character delivers it. If they somehow mute that word, you're almost going to feel the break in suspension of disbelief. You're going to be completely taken out of it because your ear, I don't know how they're going to do it. We don't, and again, we're not, it's not confirmed they're editing it, but it is a, there's a quote from February that makes it seem like he would be okay with it being edited. If it and, goes and it to would Disney have Plus. to be R rated and there, correct me if I'm wrong. There's no R rated product on Disney plus. So how is, how is, how is Deadpool going to play on there? It's not, is Deadpool going to be on Disney? Isn't plus? that Disney now? It yeah, is, but, but they're not putting all the Fox stuff on yeah. Disney Plus yet, though. Like they're, they're not going to be like Alien is not going to go on Disney Plus. Okay, so we we know why he went. They went to Disney, right? Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda is like their one of their best friends. I mean, he did Moana. He did you know he did Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense from a from a from a business standpoint. But I feel like Lin Manuel Miranda probably doesn't need. I mean, again, I don't know his money situation. I'm sure he's a lot of money from that show. But I'm sure someone else would have given him a lot of money as well to put the uncensored version on VOD somewhere. I would have to imagine that the who was releasing the movie in 2021 was it a Disney, Disney company? It was, it was Disney, yeah. Disney. It was always Disney. Oh, then they paid for the rights to it. There you go. Then then there's so, then they probably. But he could have he could have sold those rights to anybody. He had to have sold he had to have sold the rights to Disney knowing. Well, he did. Because the thing is too, he did. Um, yeah, I mean Mary you're Poppins right. Returns. You know, yeah. would the movie why? have been R in theaters? And it would have had to have been. I don't see. I think I think I think we probably would have had an edited 13 version in theaters. Oh, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. So, like, he sold it to Disney originally, even thinking it was going to go to theaters. He had to have sold it knowing okay. they're going to have to edit it. And, and like, that's his baby. I'm, I'm amazed that he would allow that to happen. I want to argue a point real fast, too, about <clears throat> what are we protecting kids from? Like, right. Like, if, if a kid, let, let's assume that a. 10 year old kid is so desperate to hear something with swearing. Is he going to put on Hamilton? Like no. you can hear swearing anywhere. Like what? And any kid who's I, interested in listen in watching Hamilton on Disney plus has either a listened to the music already right. uh, or B is, is intelligent enough to have heard swear. Like it, I don't understand what we're protecting people. From. I think it's more of Disney as a company, not wanting to, establish a precedent of putting an R-rated feature on Disney. Because I just looked up real fast, and as of December 2019, the company spokespeople are still saying Disney Plus is a family platform and will not carry any R-rated content. But I guess they're torn between they would love to offer something like Hamilton, but they have to acknowledge the fact that it has adult language in it. Uh, Put a warning at the front, you know? But I just don't see any 10-year-olds. As easy as it would be for a kid... To press play on a, yeah. an unedited version of Hamilton on Disney Plus is as easy as it would be for them to press it. They've probably, like you said, they've probably got it on their phones on Spotify. and could press play right there. Right. So, like, 
Answer me this, Sean, as a father. What yes. would you be more nervous about your young child seeing or hearing? Spider-Man yes. dying in Iron Man's arms. Right. Or an F-bomb in Hamilton. Neither, but but I guess a character dying. I mean, language is not that language is not an important right. thing around That's our, what, around I our house. Not that I that. swear in front of the kids necessarily, but we don't we're not Puritan in a way that we like cover their ears when there's language. But there's but, stuff um, on Disney Plus that is that is violent. That I think there are f bombs. Are there not f bombs in any of the Marvel films? I don't think no. so. I don't think so. Does Star and Wars fact, have any f bombs? Like we've had a couple of no Star Wars definitely does not. We've had ex, uh, we've written stories on Cinema Blend about old films like Splash that have been edited right. for like Daryl Hannah ass shots. You know when she gets to the Statue of Liberty, they they either blur it out. Oh, they digitally added longer hair to her. So that uh, she's not shown with her bare butt as she walks towards <laughs> towards characters. So Disney is they're running some stuff on Disney Plus, but they are altering it. And then some someone tweeted and I wish I knew who it was. Cause I'd like to say they said this is exactly why physical media is always going to be preferred over streaming, because a corporate entity cannot uh, make a decision about what your movie is going to look like uh, after the fact. If you have the DVD of it, you have the DVD <laughs> Yeah. And if you're only on a streaming service like Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu and they decide to make a change, they've made a change, even if the artist or the creator like Lin-Manuel Miranda agrees to it. And I'm not sure how much I agree with that. So So you can show a movie where Jeremy Renner's kids disintegrate right before his eyes, but you can't let Lin-Manuel Miranda drop an F-bomb in Hamilton. That makes no sense. According to the new policy. Yes. Okay. All right. We don't know if being edited for sure, though. We don't know for sure. We don't. Okay. It has not been confirmed yet. No. So once we know something, we'll bring it to the show. Uh, we now know <laughs> when New Mutants is going to open. Uh, shortly before we started recording this show, Disney has decided that New Mutants is coming to theaters on August 8th, 2020. So uh, circle it on your calendar, but make sure you do it in pencil. This is no <laughs> joke. The fifth delay uh, for that film, I believe. We went to the set of that film. Uh, they shot in Boston. I swear to God, I think it was 2017. I'd have really? to go back through the, the records and see, but I think the first release day for it was 2018. And then it's been 2018 to 2019, and now it's 2019 to 2020. So I, I'm pretty sure we were on the set of that movie in 2017. So they're going to change the title I, I, to The Old Mutants. <laughs> hey, uh, I want to bring this story around too to uh, Russell Crowe's film because he wants to sort of beat <laughs> beat Christopher Nolan and and not let Nolan have Tenet be the very first film coming. There's a film called Unhinged. It's going to be coming out on July 1st. It'll be the first major release in theaters. It's going to be on 8,000 screens. According, to, I swear to God, that's the real number that they said. They said that Avengers Endgame was on 4,200 screens. Unhinged plans to be on 8,000 screens. Wait, are you serious? No, I swear to God. No, that is what the that is what the the spokesperson for the studio said. They're going to have it on 8,000 screens. That's a that's got to be a joke. 8,000 TV screens. What does that mean, Gabe? No. (laughs) Oh, that's what Gabe is. Gabe is making a joke. I swear to God, that's what they said. Because listen, there's no competition. There's no other film. It, it literally could be on 8,000 screens. It's just a matter of what's open. Like it's a matter It still of- opens to $4 million. <laughs> Dude, it may. I mean, honestly, when you think about social distancing and how theaters are going to open. So uh, let me ask it from this point of view, not whether you're going to watch the Russell Crowe movie, but if there's a new movie in theaters on July 1st, would either of you two go see it? 
Yes. It's you know, it's it's circumstantial. It depends on what's going on yeah, right now. Still. Um still it's it's I can tell you I'm not gonna be as inclined to go out of my way to do it as I would if it were a tenant. Okay. Gotcha. That's fair. I, you, I mean I'm do you I'm fairly comfortable move? with the fact that when we go back to theaters, I'm gonna have to be wearing a mask. For whatever the that's that's the feature is. yeah that's the thing you know and someone I was reading someone brought up a good point I wish I knew who tweeted this um as well it was that, me you know it was probably um but the the way most movie theaters make their money isn't through ticket sales it's through concessions right and I mean if 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 we get to a situation where they're gonna make people wear masks in movie theaters you gotta pull down your mask if you want to eat food right and then you're then you're running into a situation where like basically you're not wearing a mask so it's like how is that gonna like Movie theaters aren't going to open if they can't sell concessions. Right. And if you're eating concessions, then you're not abiding by these health things. I can't like we keep running into these hurdles. I feel like the more and more hurdles are being placed in front of us going back to the theater anytime soon. And you eat popcorn with your hand and your hand is going to touch a lot of things on your way into the right. theater. Yeah, I don't know. These are these are questions. Thankfully, we're not paid to answer. Kevin, you want to say something? I'm sorry about that. I well, stepped no, on no. You. no, 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 not at all. I was I, I interrupted you. I, I was just I. I I was wondering if you guys thought this was a direct hit at Tenet. Like, do you think yeah. it? If if anything, everyone's laughing at them. Like, no one, no one really thinks that this is like, like, like you were right. Remember when you used to? Well, not used to say. Remember when you were saying that like it would be a great story if Tenet and Nolan were like, it ain't gonna be this Russell Crowe movie. Like, like you're right. It would be a great story if it were Tenet. Not sure it's gonna be, but it would be a great story if it were. It's not going to be a good story either way for for Russell Crowe's movie. But a movie was that it, no one's heard of up till today. Was it no. purposeful? You think? You think they? You think? They, I guarantee you that that marketing department was like, you know what? How can we make news? Let's put yeah. our movie in theaters yeah. before they could. Tenet. They could take it off the calendar, and it's all it's on all of our radars now. Exactly. Yep. You know what? Jake hit the nail on the head. They probably have no intention of releasing this movie on July first on eight thousand screens. It was probably just a news story. I don't know. There's a guy in the boardroom going, are there even 8,000 screens in the country? <laughs> it looks like such a directed to video film. I is mean, he? Okay. That's, is he in that like Nick Cage, uh, Steven Seagal, John Travolta phase where he's starting like where, you know, like you win an Oscar and then not the Travolta's won an Oscar, but you win an Oscar and then you don't do anything for a while and you start making those straight to DVD I'm, action movies. I can't like, think has, of the last Russell Crowe film that I've watched. I'm going to look it up, but can you guys Boy think Erased? Of, which one? Boy Erased? Oh yeah, that's right. He was in that. Um, he was good in that. But it's but like that wasn't a Russell Crowe film. That was a film that Russell Crowe was in. Les Misérables. I'm not that far though. Can you hear the people sing? Keep going, Jake. I like that movie. Uh let's see. Boy Erased. The Mummy. <laughs> he was Jekyll. Oof. He was Jekyll Oof. in The Mummy. Uh The Nice Guys 2016. Oh, I love the nice yeah, guys. Noah, Man of Steel. Obviously, he's Jor-El and Man of Steel and Les Rob. All right. So, no, he's been around. He's making movies still. Yeah. And he may have a movie that's in theaters on July 1st. We will all decide around that time whether we are willing Watch it to come out and be amazing. Just dominate. It'd be the yeah. Oscar frontrunner. It, it overtakes Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes Chris Nolan's favorite movie of all time. <laughs> Like it's no one and we have it. a record. We have a record of us <laughs> shitting on it for five minutes. <laughs> Unhinged. <laughs> Terrible. All right, this week in movies. We, we have a trailer. It, it could be good. <laughs> no, not yet. No, and I'll I'll check it out. I'm excited. Yeah. Send us a screener link of Unhinged. We'll talk about it on the show. But though we were we've all been sort of joking, like whenever we see something and we like it, there's a part of me that's like, oh, this is good. And then there's a part of me that's like, 
I, we just haven't seen anything in such I a know. long time. Like, like I, I really can't. You know, it's like it's like whenever you get a meal after you've been starving. Like, is it really good or are you just starving? Right. You're like, this is the best I've ever had. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we watched a trailer for a film that's coming to Amazon Prime, uh, starring Kristen Stewart, and it was at Toronto last year. None of us saw it while we were there. It's called Seaberg. Um, there's a trailer for it now. D- uh, Gabe, do you know the date? When it's coming to Amazon Prime, if you do, can you drop it in the show notes down down below? It looks pretty interesting. Um, she plays uh, a an actual actress. It's based on a true story, uh, French New Wave actress um, who is getting into the civil rights conversation and uh, working with the Black Panthers, and then believes that she's being uh, followed by the government. That they're essentially tapping her phones, and it gets to be a little bit of a psychological thriller. It seems, according to this trailer. And the quotes that they decided to pull are calling it some of her best work. So, I, I, Jake, you seem pretty intrigued by the trailer. Yeah, I mean, I love um, especially historical stories uh, that in any way involve like this industry, um, especially, you know, and and um, which is why I'm very interested in, in Mank. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, anytime that, that you can and I don't really know much about who this person was or, or, or what the story is. Um, so I'm intrigued by that. And I also think that Kristen Stewart is a great actress. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, I haven't always loved all the films that, that she's been a great actress in. Like there are some times that I've thought like, Oh, like, you know, like she's great in that. I'm not a big fan of the movie itself. Um, and I, I would love to see, um, her kind of follow in that path of, uh, you know, other people who had franchises when they were younger and then make interesting choices because they can, mm-hmm. um, because they're afforded to. And, and I think she has a lot of great performances in her. And uh, and I, I, I look for, I think she looks great in the trailer. I'm in it. I'm, in, I'm into were it. raving about her in underwater. Weren't you? I, yeah, I like underwater. I thought I thought underwater was a lot of fun. I thought she did the best with what she could possibly do with a character right like that. OK, yeah, I, I, I agree with Jake. I think she's actually a very good actor. I think both her and and Pattinson are great actors. Um, and I think that what's interesting, Taylor Lautner. Eh. Eh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Remember when he was in that movie abduction in which there was no actual abduction? Yes. <laughs> I think we should that do that really for our next commentary track. That <laughs> we're all just waiting on the abduction the whole time, we're like any minute now. That any minute now, there will be an abduction. Be top five, one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Dude, did you did you do that junket? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was a that's and that's when we were all trying to figure out like which of the Twilight kids were gonna go on and which ones mm-hmm. weren't, and that was when we all sort of decided like, oh, so Taylor's not. Yeah, that's, he's gonna he's gonna stay here. Aww. Poor guy. That being his said, career though, was abducted. Yeah, <laughs> my time was abducted. Laudner <laughs> was always cool to us. I will say that he was. Oh, he was. He was. He was the best interview out of all of them. Such a nice guy. Always really, really cool. I, I want to give Jake credit because he did this. He, Jake had this really funny thing he would do. I remember Jake was telling me about it. So Jake, your first <laughs> and middle name are the characters' names from Twilight. Yeah, oh, my, yeah. my name is Jacob Edward <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah. So you would and, know. And was, yeah. So so at a certain point, the, the Twilight films are the only. It's the only series that I did the junkets for every single film. Like sometimes you know, like where like from the beginning to the end, I did every single one. Mm-hmm. By like the third or fourth film, you kind of run out of things to ask. <laughs> like you're interviewing, and and for these particular junkets, 
and, and, Ke- and you, I don't know, Sean, I don't know if you did them or Kevin did them. Yeah. You wouldn't just interview Robert Pattinson, Taylor mm. uh, Lautner, and Kristen Stewart. You, you interviewed everybody. 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 Like eight <laughs> rooms, and some of the rooms had like six or seven people yeah, in them. They blew and it And you'd out. be like looking at these people, and you're like, who are, like, who are you? Are you the wolves or the vampires? So I made shirts. Because, you know, so at the time, it was all about, are you Team Jacob or Team Edward? Yeah. Like, it, that was a big thing. Which one are you? So I made shirts for everyone that said Team Jacob Edward. <laughs> and and we just convinced everyone that like like Boo. just love me and that was that was my bit for one of the entire like one of the, the whole movie's junkets it was just like love me that's pretty funny it's still better than that metallica shirt you're wearing too <laughs> metallica i will say what, though, what is what is your issue with my metallica shirt <laughs> just I cracking like it. me up it's just very, very metallica it's, it's it's very loud <laughs> It's just like, <laughs> you, if you don't normally watch the show on YouTube, you please have to go out of your way to see it this week. Just it's to see so, Jake's shirt. Like, I can't even see Jake's face. I just see Metallica. That's all I see on that screen is just Metallica. That's all I see. Okay, I know, I know people can't see Gabe right now, but 50% of this podcast yeah. is promoting Adidas. Sean, the only guy that didn't wear a superhero shirt on superhero day is 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 sporting Uh, one of his mini spider-man i I just threw on a shirt because you know so you know why i'm wearing this shirt why because the shirt i was wearing earlier today is the shirt that i was wearing for the show last week (laughs) and i didn't want to wear the same show two weeks in a row you have to be very conscious of that now i picked a random t-shirt out of my closet (laughs) assholes and and didn't realize (laughs) it's a great shirt it's just like the image is it's just that's all I see. <laughs> and it goes with a beard. All right. Uh, Seaberg. <laughs> so screen five. We are. Nev Campbell's coming we are back. ADD podcast this week more than ever before. Gabe wants me to point out that it opens uh, or will hit Amazon Prime on the 15th, uh, May what 15th. Does? So it's it's will be right here. In addition to what's that, Jackie? What what does? Seaberg. 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 Kristen yeah. Stewart movie that we were talking about yeah. earlier. At some point. Um, so does Scoob. So it's our time to review Scoob. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed our interview with the director earlier in the show. And this is one of the ones that we talked about was going to go to theaters and is now going to paid VOD. And and now that I've had a chance to see it, I completely understand why Warner Brothers um, is releasing it to uh, families who are at home because it's going to be... Uh, a, a huge hit for families who are looking for something new to watch together. It's it is a uh, traditional animated feature in the fact that it's it's bright and colorful, full of energy. It, the animation is fantastic. Um, it's got a much bigger story than I anticipated. It gets into the origin of the uh, Mystery Incorporated team. And when I say that, like you might laugh a little bit, but it actually sets up how they meet each other. And it's really cute and clever. And it gets into some of the relationship between uh, young Shaggy and Scooby as a dog. Uh, then it goes off on this huge adventure that involves a couple of the major characters from the Hanna-Barbera uh, archive, including the Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt, which are characters who I loved growing up. But the thing about it, too, is how much it offers for parents. And again, I grew up uh, in the late 70s and, and throughout the 80s. And Scooby-Doo was a tremendously popular character. Uh, the animated television show Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And the um, Scooby-Doo 
feature films that would involve the the most bizarre cameos of like celebrities at the time. Harlem it's Globetrotters. Harlem Globetrotters. Don Knotts. Casey Kasem. Yeah, Casey Kasem and all yeah. these. Well, Casey, Casey Kasem. Kasem. Didn't he do the voice of was he? Well, he was. Um, was he was Scooby's voice or I Shaggy's thought he was voice? Shaggy. He might have been Shaggy's Shaggy. voice. So they would work the strangest celebrities into Scooby Doo at the time, and then there is a very funny celebrity cameo in this Scoob. Uh, animated movie as well too that, that parents are going to kick out of it's absolutely one of these movies that you can watch together as a family because as much as your kids are going to enjoy it uh if you are of a certain age and if you grew up at all with scooby-doo uh there's a lot of great references and nods and just little plot points that happen that are going to have you laughing uh and feeling that it's really nostalgic um much like Tony talked about in his interview I do regret a little bit that people aren't going to get to see this on a big screen um there are certain animated features that I think uh, can go to home video. Like when Onward earlier this year went to Disney Plus, I honestly thought like, okay, that's a good fit for that movie. Like I totally understand if, if families didn't feel compelled to go out and check that out because they didn't market it properly. And it's not the new Toy Story, you know, or some type of sequel from Pixar. But you can sit home on a Friday night and pull it up on Disney Plus and you'd probably get the same effect. You're going to miss a little bit with Scoob not seeing it on the big screen because there are some huge set pieces for this. Um, and I, I I just thought it was really good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I had a lot of fun with it, too. Um, I want to give Sean credit because when we were doing our interview with the filmmaker, you were dropping Scooby-Doo knowledge like Jake dropped yeah. Star Wars knowledge. I, I, I had no idea that you were that you are like deep in that world. Like You knew everything. It's, Dude, it's weird. So in, I'll tell this story. In elementary school, I pretended I was Scooby-Doo. Like when I was a little kid, I would run around on adventures. I would run around on adventures, like ghost adventures, and I would pretend that I was Scooby-Doo. That's awesome. Yeah, that was was one of my favorite characters. That's awesome. And whatever, um, like I would get Cheez-Its in my lunch uh, (laughs) in elementary school, and they were Scooby snacks. Like I would pretend they were Scooby snacks. This is really embarrassing. I shouldn't even have gone. You got beat up a lot, didn't you? No, no, everybody thought it was really cool and wanted to be in the Mystery Incorporated with me um, at the time. But I was always, I got to be Scooby-Doo. This stuff (gasps) came in the mail for people who are watching us uh, on YouTube. I th- uh, Jake, I know you got one also. We're supposed yeah, to give these to our dogs. Right yeah, now. well, we're supposed to give them to our dogs. I kept it because <laughs> it's <gasps> going on my shelf. Um, Wait, now I did get kept toys from Squirts. No, no, no. So Squirty got a, a, a bark box that came with his own Scooby Doo and his own mystery machine, and then this one came in a separate pack, and it's um like a mystery machine, like a plastic one, and then it's got Scooby mm. and Scrappy Doo in it. Yeah, Kev, I'm a huge fan. I was a huge fan, and when they said he was a big Hanna Barbera guy. That's when I was like, oh, yeah, we got to have him on the show. And then he ended up being even better than I anticipated. Also, if you're the studio, why aren't you calling the sequel Scooby 2? Is it a sequel? No, I'm saying if they make another one called Scooby 2. Yeah, they have to do that. Scooby Dooby 2? That's a no brainer. Scooby, yeah, Scooby 2. Scooby Dooby 2. Scooby 2. Uh, Oh, by the way, I want to give that movie credit. Because they did exactly what Solo should have done with the name scene. And so, Jake, I don't bring this up to make you mad, but I, I thought this was kind of clever. In the movie, and this is also in the trailer, when Scooby-Doo is given his name, it's this completely ridiculous over-the-top dialogue where this cop is saying, what's your dog's first name? Middle name. Last name. Like, these things you would <laughs> obviously not have. And, the, do- and, the, and then the, the, the cop's like, oh, he's the middle name? That means he's good to go. I thought that was a really funny way to get around the exposition of giving him 
the Scooby-Doo name. You know what I mean? It was like one of those yeah. weird things where they were joking about the origin. And I only bring up Solo because we just joke about it a lot on the show and with Jake, I'm just playing around. But I feel like if they could have had more fun with giving Solo his name, kind of like how Scoob did, but Solo's on a comedy. He had no people! <laughs> I know, but it's a really bad idea to call him Solo. Solo had no that. sense of humor, unfortunately, but Scoob has a pretty good sense of humor about but it. But you know what I mean, though? Like, like that was actually a proper way, I thought, yeah. to give Scooby-Doo his name that we already know. Like, remember in first class when they're all sitting around coming up with their... Oh, I hate that. That's a bad scene. That's a bad scene. that scene because it seems like a scene that needed to be done to fit some kind of block that the studio wanted to make sure that the names were understood by the audience. And I feel like in this case, I mean, I I know it's such a minor detail, but when, as I, as I watched that scene in Scoob, I'm like, cool, man, that's actually a really cool way to give, to to reintroduce someone's name that we already know. So I I, want to give the movie credit for that. So in addition to uh, Scoob hitting paid VOD on the 15th, uh, right now, if you all wanted to, you could turn off this podcast <clears throat> and you could pull up Capone by Josh Trank. And um, we had Josh on uh, an earlier bonus episode. We dove into how he was able to cast Tom Hardy in the lead role, uh, but we haven't had a chance to necessarily review it in great detail. We're going to go into some spoilers for this as well, too, Kev. Sean, I, I was curious in our interview with oh, him. I, I yeah. don't know why we didn't ask him his favorite Fincher movie. Did uh, did you not think to ask him this? Uh, Trank Mank? Mank Trank? Josh, Josh Mank? Mank. Yeah, I was going to do Josh Mank. Mank. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, it, t- it took me a second to it's get okay. there. It's pretty good. No, yeah, no. pretty good. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate um, it. I, I liked Capone a lot uh, for various reasons, but I just gushed about Scoop, so I'm going to pass it to you guys. Kevin, uh, you've been on the, the uh, Capone bandwagon for a while, back when it was called Fonzo. Uh, what did you think of this film? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that we've all discussed in our text thread, and I think Jake, Jake, feel free to chime in, because I think you and I are on the same page in this movie. Um, it, it's a, it, It's not... The, it's not a movie that you would expect to see with the title Capone. So I think at the end of the day, um, the title is a very powerful thing because it does. Fonzo fits it better. Agreed. Yeah. And it's set, but it sets an expectation like with the Irishman and I heard you paint houses. Heard you paint houses is a better title. Irishman is more digestible and more broad. Uh, and you can, people will understand that title more. Um, I, so I, f- I feel like. A lot of the negativity surrounding the film are people going into the movie expecting that classic gangster Al Capone movie that you mm-hmm. want to see from Hollywood. But then you're getting this like deep last year of his life character study where the, where he's horrified living in a prison of his own imagination while reliving every horror of every pain that he inflicted on people and then getting that pain sent right back to him as he dies. I mean, that's that it, it's pretty horrifying that's a bad way to die. Like, you know, and again, it's also bad what he did to people. So in the interesting element about it is, is it does ground Al Capone in a way that I never thought of. And Jake was talking about this in our interview with Trank. Capone is kind of a celebrity in the sense of like, not a celebrity in the sense that he was a, you know, but people know Capone, like they sell things in Chicago. Jake was saying he's, or, he's borderline. Yeah. He is borderline celebrated. Yeah. In Chicago. I yeah. guess you would like put, people, people buy, like tchotchkes with with his face on it. I guess you could put in the same thing as like a Ted Bundy, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying they're comparable. But yeah, but I don't I don't think they're, they're, yeah, but say there aren't there. Are, I don't think there are like tourism shops dedicated to Ted Bundy though. I don't mean it like that. I mean it like in the sense of like Bundy is like a, a he's a famous name, 
but he's yeah. done yeah, horrible things. That, that's kind of what I was yeah. trying to say. So Capone always had this mentality in my head of like that 80s or that, that, that classic gangster style idea. So to see it grounded like what Tom Hardy does here, I thought it was super interesting. It actually gave me a, a, a different perspective on what that would be. The way I compare Capone is it's basically the third act of Irishman for one movie. Because the entire no, that's a great that's a really great the, comparison. The entirety of Irishman is all about reflection, right? So if mm-hmm. you think about the third act of Irishman when they're in the prison, all like you know they can't move on their own and things like that, and you these guys who were like at the top of their game, you know, years ago, living these like lavish lifestyles while also doing horrifically illegal things and bad things, and then to see them in their later years suffering because of those is this strange karma right that that scorsese built through the three the three and a half hour um, mm-hmm. portion of that movie trank basically gives you that for an entirety of the film yeah. it's somebody reflecting on what they've done wrong and and that's the whole structure of the movie and i think that's fascinating because oddly enough i think the third act of irishman is the best part of the whole movie I think that third act, because it was also where the less CGI was used, it was also the sequence where they took out Pacino's character. That third act was the best part of that movie. So that's why I liked Capone so much, because Capone was basically just that. And there's a scene in Capone that I think Trank said something in our interview that just blew my mind from a filmmaking perspective. There's a scene in Capone where a guy gets stabbed repeatedly in the neck, and it's very mm-hmm. violent and jarring. But yeah, the, yeah, repeatedly is an understatement. It's horrifying. But the way Trank said it, like it actually made the hair on my arm stand up because I never thought about this. He goes, basically, that is all the violence that Capone inflicted in one moment. Like the, as horrifying as that death appears, that's supposed to show the magnitude of what he did. And I felt like like those are choices that filmmakers make that are so subtle, but they're so impactful. And I think that Trank understands his audience. And I think he wants people to be challenged. And I, I saw something the other day about because he talks about dementia, right? Because the character has dementia and or, you know, Capone had dementia. The movie itself feels like that on purpose. Yeah. Like he's putting mm-hmm. you he's he's putting you in Capone's headspace. So if you find yourself. Yeah like confused or like it's not that that's like a cop out or like oh the writing i think that script is airtight I but just, almost like not not to the degree that scorsese does it but almost like a shutter island where like shutter island makes what you think are actual like mistakes but it's not it's you're right. meant to sort of feel like dicaprio does where yeah. you where you sort of go like wait was that was that meant to be right. there was it was that was that there before yeah so it does make you question things yeah, or there's characters yeah. there's characters yeah. that you suddenly learn in a subliminal way might not be there and then mm-hmm. when you kind of realize that they're not there, you start to question, oh, is all of this stuff not there? And right. you have to almost catch up to where the movie is. And Matt Dillon yeah. is awesome in the movie. I thought Dillon was great. I thought everybody was great. Cardellini. Um, it's not a movie for everybody. I, and I get that. I don't like saying that because I feel like every movie. I've seen, yeah, but I've seen a lot of um, it's interesting. I feel like uh, yeah. reactions. And, and it was great that we were all able to make up our minds before mm-hmm. uh, reviews dropped, which was good. And and um but the reactions, you know, I had a, a a buddy of mine who listens to this show text me and and hated it, hated it, hated it with the fiery passion of a thousand suns. Wow. And uh, my boss watched it uh, two nights ago and texted me and sort of went like, huh, that was that was interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, but, you know, it's one way or the other, like 
you have to give Josh Trank credit. He made the movie he wanted to make. Yeah. Yep. And and I I loved how gross and mean and nasty it is because quite frankly he was a gross mean and nasty man <laughs> i love that 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 he is chewing the scene if they're you know like there's like he's like i mean like you know with the with the you know Barrett first stick. the cigar and then the carrots i mean yeah. he is he is ripping into it I, I think it's an imperfect movie i think there were a couple of uh, uh moments with the makeup where i really wasn't i was like oh like that's like he's wearing makeup like like they're you know i was i was texting kevin i was as i was watching saying um like in the dark i thought the makeup looked cool yeah which is not a great compliment but like i thought it looked like with the, you know whenever like it would be like the lighting in the darkness or whatever but when he was straight up out in the daylight i didn't think the makeup looked great i thought that there were a couple of um like weird editing choices where i was just sort of like oh that was jarring that was that was strange mm-hmm. so it's 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 an imperfect movie for me but that being said i really liked it we've gotten the the De Niro Capone like his heyday in Chicago a thousand times. Yep. Um, we've we've gotten young Capone. If you've never seen the show Boardwalk Empire, yeah. is a really great depiction of Al Capone. If you've never seen that show, before. who plays Capone um, in that show? I for, I forget the name of the guy that does it, name. but he's fantastic. Mm, it's okay. fantastic, you know. And that's that's a Scorsese show, so it's basically you're getting a Scorsese Capone. Um, so we've gotten early Capone, but we've never gotten this Capone before. And like honestly, this is as gross and nasty as he is in this movie. That's probably what it was like. That's that's you know yeah. Um. So I I I loved this movie. Um. And and I'm I'm glad that you know based on our conversation with Josh, it really sounds like aside from the title, which you know, if it it, it happened to Scorsese, it can happen to anybody. Right. Like it sounds like he got to make the movie he wanted to make, which well, makes me happy. I also want to give him a lot of credit for like just going on this publicity tour. Like he just put on his battle armor and talked to everybody. Yeah buddy that he chose to speak to about any topic that you wanted to talk yeah. to him about. And so many people might shy away from, I mean, he had a colossal, you know, bomb and a horrible experience on fantastic four after coming off of, and he described it really well in our interview. Like he came off of Chronicle, uh, made one of the highest grossing or the highest grossing film for the, one of the youngest filmmakers of all time. He was experiencing the highest of the highs that you can in this industry. And this industry is yes. notorious for building people up as quickly as we can, and then giddily tearing them down. And that poor man went through both sides of it. And then when he came out with this movie, and like you said, because he's so confident in it, you know, and believes that he made the movie that he wanted to make and helped that he was a screenwriter on it also, um, that he just went out and took every question head on. And I deeply admire for the way that he approached this press tour. Yeah, it's a great, listen, it's super (laughs) inspiring because I don't know how, like the, the idea that he came back from that low and yeah. and made this film uh, is very inspiring. Um, and yeah. just and not that you need to know that when you watch it, but it is crazy to think where he was, where he is, and how this film came to be. So that stuff helps. That background kind of helps, I yeah. think. So, yeah. all right, this week's blend game. So I told you guys earlier that we were doing the Cohen brothers. Um, I think we did the Coens when we were doing best in an earlier back in the day phase. Yeah. so um you can go back and find that former episode and check out which ones we would choose for the best i'll be curious to see if our favorites match our best although i don't remember what we picked for Not our right. best choices um but we're going to talk favorite cohen brothers and uh jakey you get to go first this week god i was hoping i wouldn't have to go first because i'm still debating between two it's hard man um it's really it hard. is hard it's very hard it is hard i i'm gonna have to say my favorite is no country for old men okay Every aspect of that movie from Roger Deakins cinematography, Kevin, if you want to weigh in on that film, um, by the way, 35 millimeter. Film. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> the, the, the performances, um, Javier Bardem's uh, uh, Anton Sugar is, is one of the great cinematic creations, not just villains, but just characters in general. Um, you know, that, that was really also what sort of brought, brought about the resurgence of Josh Brolin, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Tommy Lee Jones gives, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones just like, it's, it's like, he just fits and mm. like that, that role is him. Um, I love the voiceover narration. I love the ending. I love what the movie shows us. I love what the movie doesn't show us. I love that it's building to this big epic shootout that we don't get to see. Oh, I, I know that that bothers a lot of people. I love it's that. Genius. Um, every, I mean, uh, if, if you were to say like, Hey, what, what movie, you know, and the thing is too, I also, I hate like picking a, a filmmakers, like big Oscar winning movie as my yeah. favorite. Mm. It's because like, you don't want to be like, well, like, you know, cause very rarely do, do like, do, does your favorite movie of a director get all of the awards. Right. But in that case, like, and then that even came out the same year as there will be blood. And honestly, like, I know that year everyone was cheering for There Will Be Blood, but like I was a big No Country for Old Men fan. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it also I love the Texas aesthetic. They were even shooting like near each other at the same time. There were some moments where they would have to sh like shut down production of No Country for Old Men because the smoke from the oil derricks <laughs> lit on fire from There Will Be Blood would be like carrying over here, the sky. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true story. I didn't know that. That is uh, really cool. So I, I, I love that area of Texas. I love West Texas. I love Marfa, Texas. I think it photographs beautifully. Um, and so especially when you get someone like Deacons to shoot it. Uh, I, I, and also I like, it's, it's, it's a brutal, brutal film, but it's also like, like kind of dark in, in a, in a true Coen brothers way. It's also very funny. Mm. Like there, there's a moment where like they're they're looking over the uh you know all, all the the carnage and the people that are shot and dead and I think one of like the the deputy goes like oh man they even shot the dog <laughs> <laughs> just like like that's a such a like basically what they did for the mid the north and midwest with Fargo is what they did in a much darker fashion for West Texas. Mm. I just happen to prefer that West Texas aesthetic and mm. I prefer the story better. No country for old men. Why doesn't mm. Anton Chigurh get more? discussion when we talk about like cinematic villains what the great the villains uh, but he, don't don't you also feel like he's just over like he doesn't get i don't hear people yes. mention him that much and it's it's yeah. a some like people would almost go to um bardem's skyfall persona you know yeah. when but, I mean, but also keep in mind he did win the oscar for it did he okay yeah. interesting mm -hmm. i mean i just think that that character is so brilliant and he's so fantastic in it um jake it's funny like you say uh the humor that shows like the hardest part for me when choosing a favorite for the Coens is you either go with one of their really dark and serious mm -hmm. ones mm -hmm. uh, or you go with one of their goofball comedies. I love both. And the Coens mm -hmm. are one of those, those directors, the types of directors that every time I sit down for one of their films, I'm, I'm not like prepared to be completely floored by it. Um, and I'm always like, okay, it's the new Coens, you know? And yeah. then like, 30 minutes into it, you're just like, oh yeah, this is a masterpiece. Like this mm -hmm. is something like Lewin Davis, something like serious man, uh, even true grit. Like dude, I, I swear to God, I, oh, almost God, I true love grit. true grit. I true love grit true grit is fantastic. Amazing. Love true grit. Uh, it's so good. Their dialogue. And when they get people who can deliver their dialogue and Jeff Bridges happens to be one of the people who can deliver their dialogue <laughs> the best possible way, uh, when they get that. And that's, I feel the same way about Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson has certain people who can deliver his dialogue and the same thing with Wes. And when I sit down, I'm always like, okay, this French dispatch, what is this going to be? And I'm sure 30 minutes into it, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, right. This is Wes Anderson. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. It's like who delivers their dialogue best. I think he might be, I think it might be 
Jeff Bridges. Ah, oh, he's so good with it. I think Clooney yeah. can dial into his co- their comedy oh, too. Oh God, I love Oh, oh Brother Arthur. Oh Brother Arthur's oh, fantastic. God. So I, my my choice for favorite of all time is the one that I think does the perfect balance of their comedy and their drama, and that's Fargo. And again, I'm I'm stunned that I'm picking Fargo because it was a movie that I did not like at first. But when you go back to it, Francis McDormand's portrayal is fantastic. Like Marge is an incredibly uh, unique character that you just you don't see it on screen. You've never seen a character like her on screen before. A pregnant uh, detective from the uh, upper Midwest, from Minnesota or no, uh, Fargo, Nebraska. Nebraska? Is that North, North Dakota? North Dakota? God, dude, I'm terrible at geography. Game quick notes. I don't know where Fargo is. Fargo, North Dakota. It's North Dakota. Yes, it is North Dakota. Thank you very much. Southerner has no idea where Fargo is. Um, oh, sure, because I'm not from Texas. But Buscemi is fantastic in it, and William H. William H. Macy is genius. Uh, just genius. Peter, Peter Stormare. I love these these stories of people who. Um, are not smart enough to outthink the problems that they're in. And the Coens are great at writing characters like that. But William H. Macy just keeps getting deeper and deeper into trouble. Um, and it's the type of screenplay that's just so rewarding that you so get good. more out of it uh, as you get older <laughs> and the film stays the same and you get more out of it as you begin to um, just completely understand how much of a control they had over the story. Mm. Uh, Did you see it in theaters? Yes, I saw it in theaters and again, didn't like it. I was in college when it came out and um, they were still, no one really saw, or at least I wasn't paying attention to their earlier films. Uh, Fargo was the one that really put them on the map and people started Mm -hmm. to sing up and pay attention to them. Um, Did they win the the screenplay Oscar for Fargo? I'd have to go back and double check. I'm not sure, but that it was right around the time when uh, all of these other filmmakers were sort of breaking out of uh, Sundance at the time. And Tarantino was coming up big at that time. And then the Coens were sort of capturing that corner of their market. Um, Gabe is saying, yes, they did win the screenplay. But then anyway, my choice is Fargo. Fargo is my favorite. Um, but Great I mean, I a kind easily... of a companion piece with no country for, I mean, would you say that like, oh, like, sure. like Fargo and no country are kind of, you could, you could sort of put them yeah. together. It's like a good double feature. And honestly, I could pick 10 of their films for favorite. Oh, yeah. I mean, so uh, Gabe says that Fargo won screenplay and McDormand won actress for it yeah. as well, too. And then yeah. they only, they've only they only won directing for No Country, right? Yeah. And then No Country won picture. Cats, and Jake, what was, Jake, what was your second movie that you were choosing between? Uh, it was between No Country and Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Lebowski. Gotcha. Uh, because Lebowski, because I feel like there, there are very few movies that, that are as funny as, as you remember them being when you watched them originally. Yeah. There are even fewer that get funnier. And somehow, every time I watch Lebowski, it gets funnier. Every single time I watch sure. it. So mine is, mine's inter- this is interesting. If you asked me this question like eight months ago, nine months ago, uh, I think the answer would have been Lebowski or Raising Arizona. Um, okay. But Ooh, Raising Arizona is a good one. And Raising Arizona, I just feel like is just such a fun movie. But like at the same time, Blood Simple is another choice I could have easily gone to because of it has my favorite Coen Brothers shot of all time which Sonnenfeld told us was actually removed from the film. And then he walked back in and had them added back in to my favorite shot they've ever done. Um, so weirdly enough, I'm going to, I'm going with no country as well. And I'll, and I'll explain why. Ooh. Um, a lot of it has to do with exactly what Sean just explained about getting older. Um, when I saw no country for old men, I don't think I was in the right mindset for it. Um, I was expecting Coen brothers style. Like, like, but this, this was more subtle. They've been more extreme 
Lebowski, I feel like in Fargo, they have extremes. No Country for Old Men is a really pulled back film. It's very, it breathes. You can almost hear a pin drop. Uh, I don't think there's really any score in the film, from uh, if I remember correctly. Is there like no? I don't think there's, there's no score there's whatsoever. No score at all. So yeah. I see this. Just the sweet timber of Tommy Lee Jones voiceover narration. <laughs> right. So I see the film for the first time in theaters. I, mean, I remember when it ended, I hated the ending. Absolutely hated it. I thought it was You're not I, alone. It, it was like like I was watching this amazing movie and then I was I was just so, so disappointed by the ending that it just soured my thoughts mm. on the film. Now I still understood that it was a good movie and I, I it had great performances and it moved really well, but I didn't I I, I almost immaturely just like I feel like I should have gone back and watched it another time. And, and again, it's hard to have that perspective when you look back on it now. So years, years later, 2019, last year, I was uh, on social media at one point and I saw No Country for Old Men pop up somewhere. And I was like, you know what? Like, I, I almost was like mad at myself. I was like, I was almost like, Kevin, you didn't like the ending. You don't need to go back and revisit it. I was almost like, I, I, there's no way I'm going to change my mind. So I pop the movie in and I watch it in a very different state of mind. I just let it breathe. Exactly what happened to me with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Even though I didn't hate the ending of Hollywood, I just it just didn't connect with me as extremely well as it did until the third time. And No Country for Old Men was really the first time I actually put myself in check and was able to admit that I was either wrong or not ready for that ending. Um, oh, not ready. So, you have to have some miles on you to appreciate the ending of that movie. Exactly. And I wasn't ready for it. I didn't comprehend it. Uh, I'm 36 now, but I and I do find myself starting to have, I, I guess the term would be more like older thought processes about life, thinking about mm. death and life and just family and all these things. Things that weren't like not that family wasn't important when I saw No Country for Old Men for the first time, but I was in a different mindset. I was, you know, I was 20 something years old whenever that movie came out. So revisiting it, the reason why it became my favorite today for this particular blend game we're playing is because of that resurgence that I had on that revisit. And it was the revisit that I truly understood that film's uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Re um, not reserved. Um, restraint. That film is mm. the definition of restraint. Mm. And Jake's talking yes. about like, you know, the shootout and that you don't get. That movie is all about giving you everything you want and then just pulling it right back, but never overdoing it. It's almost like watching a beautiful piece of music just flow, even though there's no music in the film. And every image breathes. So like Deacon's cinematography is what's singing musically to us, not the music and just the wide landscapes. It is such a gorgeous film, but it's funny because Jake and I chose it, but for completely different reasons. I think, Jake, you probably loved it the first time you saw it. Um, it was my number one that year. Right. So I had a very different journey with No Country for Old Men. Um, I do think to this day it is their most perfect film. I think it's probably the film that is the closest to perfection that they've ever made. I think it's just on the second rewatch. It was it was a completely different movie for me, a completely different film thematically, visually. The ending hit me so much harder and different than it did when I first saw it. 
And it was almost like this weird thing where I I felt a little bit a part of me inside mature as I rewatched it the second time around, because I think I was so stubborn in the sense that when I saw a film for the first time, I had an opinion about it and then I would just move on. Right. So my opinion of No Country for Old Men was like, ah, it was cool, but the ending I didn't really particularly like. And I had that opinion for a long time. And when you have that opinion for a long time, that's just what you start to believe, right? And you mm-hmm. and, and you almost don't want to go, oh, I was probably wrong, or I was probably an idiot, or I, I, or I messed up. So it was almost like the first time, I, in my opinion, before uh, it happened once upon a time in Hollywood after this happened, um, where I kind of put myself in check and was able to admit that I was in a different spot. And I think that movie will uh, will forever have that place in my head as the film that made me correct a, a thought that I had at a different time in my life. That's, That's why awesome. I feel like I'm picking it because it's not necessarily it's weird because if I'm putting on a Coen Brothers movie, if we're doing favorite, I'm probably going to throw on Lebowski or Arizona or well, Lebowski is easier to watch. Right. And it's but it's weird because no country for old men favorite is a really weird word to use for that mm-hmm. movie because it's not mm-hmm. really a pleasant film i also still think it's probably one of the most horrifying uses of a murder weapon that i've ever seen in a movie the the, oh, the his his forehead thing i just never i never thought of somebody actually using that something like that i didn't even know yeah, that yeah. existed i didn't even know that's yeah. how they actually killed animals or whatever it's animals. Like, it was for cows yeah um Anyway, so there, and I'll, I'll end on this. When you, wa- when you rewatch the call it sequence, the flipping of the coin, Ugh. that scene when it first played was insane. But now it just gets better every time you watch it. And you find yourself in that moment. And I, every time I watch it, I know he, he doesn't end up killing that guy. Because I, I, no. I know. But I still. Well done. I still watch it with the idea that he could take him out. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, like oh, and to your point, you know what, what, I mean? what, what I think makes that scene great is it, isn't just um, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh. It's the, the old man. Yeah. And that brings my one of the things that I love most about Coen Brothers is their casting of secondary characters. Yes. They might be the absolute best at casting characters yeah. that most directors would just go, oh, I don't really care. Just cast whoever. It's a great point. It's the second, like, the old man in that scene is just as good as Javier, but like it takes both of them to make that scene as good as it is. And, and it's that case with all the second dairy characters in all of their films. To Jake's point, one of the best characters in No Country for Old Men is the guy that Chigor- uh, that um, that he pulls over. And like the guy, remember the guy he pulls over and kills in the car? Like did that guy, did yeah. like, like I always found that scene to be crazy because that guy did nothing wrong. Like I, I always watch that scene and I'm like, and you don't see what I'm referring to, right? It's when he, the guy yeah. kills the guy outside of the car, right? With the, with the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I, could you could you look right here? Right. And so I remember like, why, like Jake's 100 percent correct. It's a great point. Like the secondary characters in their films are so it's like weirdly Coen Brothers characters, but they but they're but they're important. They're not just wasted characters mm-hmm. like that guy in the store could have been a wasted throwaway character. But he, as Jake said, makes that scene because in order for. Bardem to be as 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 scary as he is in that scene the other guy also has to be as as confused and petrified as you know and I love that guy's arc oh god now you're making me want to go watch I want to watch it now I know guy's, <laughs> you guys want to watch it tonight no that guy's I gotta watch arc. King of Staten Island Jake I'm trying to remember now Ooh, I'll get a screener of King of Staten Island I'm why better do you than not you guys. have one I don't understand why you don't have one I don't one. know I didn't get one you have universal reps <laughs> 
there we go. Yes, let's get to audio. Yes, terrific picks, obviously. I mean, you're never going to go wrong with the Coens. Uh, Jose Vela Jr. said Fargo. Uh, Cardi Dante said Inside Lewin Davis. Patrick Knight brought up Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading is great. It's really funny. Um, You think that's a Schwinn? What's that? I love Brad Pitt. I love Brad Pitt in that oh, movie. Oh, he's terrific. And again, I, I love, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I didn't pick a, a Clooney Coens because I just think Clooney and the Coens go so well together. Uh, Shelby Jones picked No Country for Old Men. So much participation this week, guys. Thank you so much, of course, for playing along on social media and for the people who emailed us at realblendedcinemablend.com for next week. I know mine already. You can play along with hashtag Steve Carell blend. Steve Carell uh, from The Office, who came back on to uh, Some Good News with John Krasinski this week. And they had their little office reunion. But he is also a film star. And next week we will discuss our very favorite films from Mr. Steve Carell. You can play along. It's got to be film, right? It's got to be a film. Yeah, of course. I can't do a television show. I have an unpopular opinion. You could could argue the best thing he's done is The Office. Well, sure, that's fine. But that's not the conversation that we're having. Don't, don't, don't give me that. Don't, don't, don't. Clearly you forget Evan Almighty. Maybe you need to revisit it before next You guys are all forgetting the greatest role he ever played in Anchorman. I mean, Brick is the hands down the greatest character he's ever played. Is tremendous, but we will he get to Lamp, Steve Carell Come on. next week. <laughs> we'll get to him next week. Uh, reviews. You can, of course, send us reviews at realblendedcinemablend.com. And this one comes from Ace and then a whole bunch of threes. Uh, Ace 333333 and says, Amazing movie podcast. Real Blend is an amazing podcast and my favorite podcast. Oh, see? The <gasps> best and favorite. I like that. Uh, hey. I wasn't a huge podcast guy and then I found their Quentin Tarantino interview and he's my hero, so I was like, why not? Not only did I love the interview, but I also, for the first time, actually really liked the podcast, guys. And as soon as Kevin showed the Hattori Hanzo tattoo, I knew that I would like the show. I love all three of them. They all truly know their stuff and are great interviewers. Check them out. Dunkirk with all exclamation points. We do want to thank everybody who takes the time to to write a review either on the Apple iTunes uh, podcast page. Uh, We're getting over 200 or somewhere. Our numbers are, I don't know. Our numbers are skewed all over the place. Um, but also people who send it to us at realblendedcinemablend.com. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, oof, a very special guest that I can't talk about yet. because Ooh, I almost let it slip. I well, almost let it, it slip today. And the problem is it hasn't happened yet. Um, it's booked, but, you know, the old hashtag if it happens. But there's a very real possibility. I, I hate that I have started living that Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> you, oh, you have to. Hey, you have to. I, I'm afraid you have to. <laughs> Kevin yeah. has convinced me that hashtag if life. it happens is, is <laughs> you gotta now live that way. <laughs> yeah, you can't count your chickens until they yep. hatch. Um, so we might be back with a very, very, very special interview on next week's show. But either way, you're going to want to tune in and watch us on the YouTube channel or uh, get us where uh, your favorite podcasts are downloaded. So we'll be back next week. Thank you very much for joining us. And until we meet again, done Metallica. Tenet. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.